0: Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages Podcast. I am, of course, your host, James Shimo, and this is the Weekly Ramble, where we go ahead and we take a look at everything that was in the world of professional wrestling this week, and we let you know our thoughts, our opinions, and where we see it going from here. And I am, of course, joined by my co-host, the one and only, Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, what is going on, my friend? Uh
1: pretty good, actually. You know, it's been pretty normal on my end, but yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to get started.
0: Yep, new year with new new opportunities, at least we hope so. Uh, Whether or not all of them are good, we will definitely see how that turns out. And yes, uh, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, this is our first time we are going to plan to do weekly rambles, which is our weekly show where we're going to go ahead and take a look through everything that happened in the world of pro wrestling this past week. And we are going to dissect it one little bit at a time. This is actually going to be one of a multitude of podcasts that we are going to be doing. We'll be doing these weekly and then anytime predictions as well as uh, pay-per-view reviews come up, we will handle those as well. So with that out of the way, for right now, the way we have it up is each month we will switch off which shows we are covering. So I will be covering all of the WWE stuff today. That includes Raw, NXT, and SmackDown. Ryan will be taking a look at both Impact as well as AEW and see about everything going on in that situation. That's not to say we both haven't watched both sets of shows. It's just we really only took notes on these ones for us to speak about. So, all right. Yeah. With that out of the way, we do want to cover some breaking news off the top. I guess it's not really so much breaking now that it is the end of the week. But, uh, first and foremost, Wrestle Kingdom happened this past weekend. Uh, from what I understand, it was a massive Massive weekend uh, with a lot of great stuff uh, stuff going on. We have Kenta getting a shot at John Moxley and the end of, uh, the IWGP US title. You know, Moxley even made an appearance at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. We also had Okada versus Osprey, which I heard was absolutely fantastic. And of course, Kota Ibushi winning big, holding the IWGP Intercontinental as well as the heavyweight titles his first time holding the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And personally, I cannot be happier for the guy. But that is not the only highlights that we need to talk about. Of course, on night two, you had Yano winning the Provisional King of Pro Wrestling trophy. Uh, Takage taking over with the Never Openweight Championship. You also had Sonata going over Evil, which I know has got to be huge for him. Takahashi Nishimori absolutely tore the house down. And once again, Kota Ibushi was able to turn back the challenge, this time from Jay White remaining a double champ. Um, I'm going to have to go back and watch this entire show because from what it sounds like, it was an absolutely massive, massive weekend. Of course, all the love and all the props to Kota Ibushi for finally getting his hands on that IWGP heavyweight title. Richly deserved, in my opinion. Ryan, your thoughts on everything, all the fallout coming from Wrestle Kingdom? Uh,
1: honestly, not a lot of thoughts. I never got the chance to watch Wrestle Kingdom, but I did hear a couple of the highlights that happened. But I am personally happy that Ibushi gets to cl- lay claim to the heavyweight championship. I mean, uh, looking at his career in New Japan, he's held ch- He's almost held every championship. Like I said, almost held every championship. I'm pretty sure there's a few that he... Maybe there's like one or two he has never laid claim on. But yeah, to me, the big ones... A bit, the heavyweight championship was the big one, and uh, despite and also I remember during when AEW was setting shop or they getting the ball rolling, everyone was wondering if Kota was going to join them. But when he had decided to continue his contract with New Japan, many people or some like myself thought that this meant Kota was finally going to you know, be pushed to the horizon. But when we saw that uh, double champions like uh, Te- Naito and Evil was happening and Okada getting the championship again, I thought. Uh, I guess they're gonna wait. It's gonna be another long-term story where he's gonna be like somewhere like he's chasing the belt, but I'm glad he has it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned so talented, so just absolutely just a phenomenal athlete. I mean, the stuff that he did with you know Kenny Omega with the Golden Lovers and all of that kind of stuff. You, you could just feel that he was on the cusp of really, really breaking out with this kind of stuff, and then finally. You know, now that everybody else has moved on to greener pastures and they're having to, you know, expand a little bit within the ranks of New Japan, I think it's finally his time. And hopefully he gets a, a pretty decent, lengthy title reign, or at least this is the first of many for him, because the guy's an absolute machine. And I I really, really have high hopes for him uh, in the year 2021.
1: Same here. Uh I know we have no idea when things are really gonna get back to normal for us, but I'm hoping that with uh Bushi's reign as double champ, it hopes to be a a for a for, a fortunate one. Like I, I don't expect him to have the longest reign ever, but I'm hoping that he's gonna give us like He's never. He's gonna do what he always does. Gives us instant classic matches. Uh, athletically supercharged to where his reigns are gonna be like his reigns gonna be worth like of note. Like it's go, like if you look back at his career and you see his reign as a double champion, that hopefully his matches for either the Intercontinental
0: or the Heavyweight Championship when he defends either of them are gonna be worth of note. Absolutely, absolutely, freaking All right. Uh, in other news from outside of the realm of. WWE and AEW, Ring of Honor has officially come to terms on the parting of ways between them and Marty Scurll. Uh, For those of you who are not aware, Marty Scurll re-signed with Ring of Honor last year. Uh, He also became pretty much the head booker of Ring of Honor. They were paying him a good amount of money. But then, you know, earlier on this year, during the whole speaking out movement, some accusations have been levied against him. We're not going to speak on the legalities of anything, the allegations or anything like that. Because we don't know all the facts. We don't have obviously the right to, you know, really speculate on that. You know, what what's going on with him and the legal system and everything like that is his business. Yeah. And once it sorts itself out, then, you know, that'll be what it is. So, but for the moment, um, obviously it makes sense. You know, uh with I mean, we saw WWE cut ties with three guys who were also accused of sort of the same thing. We've seen them cut ties with people for even less than that before with, you know, Enzo Amore and everything like that. So um, it does it didn't really come as a shock to me because from what I understand and all the articles that I've read, his, you know, official capacities within Ring of Honor had diminished to where he was not in the position that he was uh, within Ring of Honor, you know, at at the time that he left as he was at the start of the year. So again, I think it makes sense. Where does he go next? Uh, I don't know because like I said, until all of this, either blows over or gets resolved and he's acquitted or anything like that. I don't believe there's really going to be any major kind of, you know, outlet when regards to, you know, pro wrestling, that's really going to want to take him while he still has that stink on him. Um, once all of this is over with, if again, and that's a big, if he's acquitted, if you know, everything, everything comes out that, Oh, this was just, you know, misunderstanding, yada, yada. And again, we're not going to speculate on that, but, you know, if he if he comes out of it with his nose clean, uh could he maybe go to AEW? Possibly. Could he go to Impact? Maybe. WWE, I doubt. Um and even then I doubt he'd go to Impact either because his ex Diana Perazzo is there, so I doubt that he'd want to spend too much time there. Um but I mean regardless, again, we're not gonna speculate on, you know, whether he did or didn't do anything like that. That's not for us to decide, that's for the courts to decide, and we will leave it at that. Uh, but your thoughts, Ryan, on the parting of ways between Marty Skirl and Ring of Honor?
1: I mean, I want to say I have a lot of thoughts, and I do honestly, but it's kind of hard to really put it down. Um, I guess when it comes down to the news of Marty Skrull becoming like uh, like you know, getting a booking position or at least getting a creative position in Ring of Honor thought was it sounded like a very good thing, especially um, it looked at the time, of course. Uh, Reverberating reverbering my thoughts back on Abushi when AEW was starting, so many people, many thought Marty was gonna go to AEW too. But when he decided to stick with Ring of Honor and build it, I was looking at it as if, you know, that's great. He's gonna slowly uh, make his own mark. He's going to slowly build everything. You know, make you know, create his own stock. But then of course, yeah, this whole the every, every all the news happening to speak up, started, and then of course with his situation that happened in london uh, that you know that happened in his home that happened in his home in england years ago now it, it it's definitely a muddy situation whether the claims against him i mean the main focus should be the claims if he was if he did do if those claims of sexual assault are in the way of you know uh like a sexual assault or, or you know if there if there is some weight if there's some truth to it then Marty's uh, stock is really going to hurt immensely. But then at the same time, people are also looking at the, the, you know, the fact that he was, oh, he was dating or he was in a relationship with a 16-year-old. But let's not forget, everybody in America, our ideas of how old a girl is to start dating is completely different than in, in, in London, and England, in England, especially London or certain other countries. So we can't judge exactly how old uh, an, a kid, a, a girl or a boy can be before they actually start dating somebody. Again, like
0: I said, we don't want to we don't want to speak too much on the ins and outs of everything, because these are like I said, they are allegations. They are, you know, they're they're just one person's side of the story. We have not we have yet. We've heard his side of the story. We've heard her side of the story. And now, of course, somewhere in between there is the truth. And that's for the courts to decide. So we're not saying one way or the other whether we believe one person or the other. I just want to make that clear. Um but again, yeah, it's one
1: of the reasons I'm having issues, you know, like it's a very muddy area. And you, yeah. You know, you don't want to we don't want to give too much credit to Squirrel. I mean, at the same time, there are these people that most of the claims have been happening right now are wrestlers who are who were contracting some are still contracted by WWE or people who are fighting these claims. So it's we just have to wait until we get until we know the full results. And hopefully, um, I mean, we want to wish that both involved are not too damaged from this, but. Let's be honest. When it comes to situations, it's when it comes to something like sexual assault or sexual allegations. There's really no easy way to. There's no. There's no easy way to recover it. At least in society's eyes, it's no. like it's a mark with you for the rest of your life.
0: I think the. I think the best thing that we can hope for out of all of this is, you know, just if. Th- let me put it this way: the best that we can hope for is if the allegations aren't aren't true, then Marty is able to continue on with his career and it doesn't damage his reputation or anything like that within the overall wrestling community. If they are, then all we can hope for is that justice is done in some way, shape or form, whether that's him having to take some kind of sensitivity training or whatever the hell it is. Um, one way or the other, regardless of which side of the fence you're on, regardless of whose story you believe, um, all that we can hope for is that the courts sort out the fact from the fiction and justice is served in one way, shape, or form or another. Anyway, moving off of that topic, let's go ahead and move into another little bit of news we got towards the end of the week. And that is that AEW Games actually put out a video uh, a little bit earlier, I want to say this weekend, where Kenny Omega was sitting down talking with Kip Sabian about some of the upcoming games and things of that nature coming from AEW games. We do not have an official release date yet on the console game. We know that they are working diligently on it, and we know that there will be a creator-wrestler mode, which, I mean, it kind of goes without saying that hopefully that would have been in there. Um, they did talk a little bit about the way the game would handle it. It would almost be like a 50-50 arcade style mixed with uh, the simulation style, so it would be in, like a nice midway point between what we're used to with the 2K games and, And then a little bit more like the old school uh, No Mercy and things of that nature as well, uh, which I think is cool. We also got an update from uh, referee Aubrey Edwards on the uh, GM mode, the general manager uh, app that they're putting out, the the GM game. They said that it will be basically you can add these what are called gimmicks to either of your uh, wrestlers who are involved in whatever feuds that you're booking. And it'll give them stat boosts and star rating boosts and things like that based on, you know, certain outcomes and things of that nature, which I thought was a pretty cool feature. And then last but not least, we did get an update on the AEW Casino uh, uh, Double or Nothing app that they've got coming out as well, that mobile game. And according to Kenny Omega, that will be happening sometime within the next 60 days. So that's really cool to be looking forward to. So I'm 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 super looking forward to that. Uh, but it's nice that we're getting a little bit of movement on some of these things. Um, obviously, I wasn't expecting to hear much about uh, the console game as of right now. Let's face it; they, you know, they just announced this not too long ago. We know they had a short little kind of like teaser, or like a test animation thing done. But Kenny did say that he did get his hands on the early, early version of the game, and he is happy with what he is seeing. So I, that's a positive thing, especially knowing how big of a gamer that Kenny Omega is. Uh, I think it's a really, really positive thing that he's he's liking what he's seeing so far.
1: Um, I think honestly I don't really have much to say on this. I mean, it's been a while since I've played actual wrestling games, but seeing the fact that AEW, that they're not gonna, I mean, the fact that they got people in charge who are big, who are very big in the gaming industry, or at least
0: like Kenny, he's a big gamer himself. Audrey, she used to work for a gaming company. Aubrey, not family. Audrey. Sorry,
1: Aubrey. I say were well, you watching man.
0: Little Shop of Aubrey. Horrors, what the hell, man?
1: Yeah. Like I said, Aubrey, she has experience working in gaming or at least working in, like, uh, the computer industry. So she, she'll she definitely be a phone – the mobile gaming industry. So she knows exactly what is going to be involved, and she definitely can help lay out the blueprints and work from there. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I will check out these games. I'm not going to be just like, oh, they come out, and it's, you know, like, not for
0: me. I will give these games a shot. So I am looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise, likewise. And I am curious to see what the whole uh, AEW console game looks like with Ukes being the one behind it rather than WWE 2K and all that stuff. So I am definitely going to be uh, keeping my eyes open on that. All right, with that out of the way, let us go ahead and transition into the WWE end of things. We started off this week with Raw Legends Night. And I just wrote right at the top of this, what a fucking waste of time. Like, there there was pretty much nothing that was gained by this. And even then, like, it would have been one thing if they included the legends and all of that in actually, like, making things interesting and advancing storylines and things of that nature. But it's just like, nope, hey, remember these guys? Yep, they're here for now. See ya, bye! Like, ugh. this was maddening, but let's get into it. Uh, you had, uh, at one point, you had the uh, Miz and John Morrison versus The New Day after, you know, this whole big uh, Miz TV thing where The New Day basically took it over. They changed it into their new talk show, New Day Talks. They're just annoying the hell out of The Miz. Uh, eventually, Teddy Long comes out, interrupts, says Miz is going to go one-on-one with The Undertaker. Adam Pierce comes out, tells Teddy he's retired. So, of course, Teddy does his usual stick of making a tag team match playa. Oh, geez. So, in any case, uh, but I mean, it was a it was a decent competitive match for TV. Uh, eventually, Morrison does try to pin uh, Xavier Woods with his feet on the ropes, but Kofi doesn't have it. Uh, Kofi isn't having it. And eventually, after some fight back, uh, Woods hits the Shining Wizard on Morrison, I believe, for the pin and the win. Um, I guess this is a program that's built in between these two to see who's going to go after the Hurt Business and, and the Raw Tag Straps, but... Other than that, I really, really was not a fan of this. Uh, we got a recap of what happened between Randy Orton and Alexa from last week. Uh, we then cut to a backstage interview where Randy says uh, to Charlie Caruso, like, look, I did not set Alexa on fire last week. Uh, my fight with The Fiend changed me. And I hate that I ended up showing mercy last week because it, me- it shows that I'm changing. And I- I'm- I've got this new self-hatred that I'm going to go take out on a couple other legends. Uh, all he really does throughout the night is just inti- try to intimidate a bunch of legends into a fight. Which is really not that compelling a TV. Sorry, guys. We saw a video of Our truth losing the 24-7 title to Angel Garza over New Year's. Uh, Garza is backstage flirting with Alicia Fox. She runs off. Uh, eventually, Garza's wandering down the hallway. He runs into Sergeant Slaughter, Tatanka, and Mickey James. Uh, again, waste of a segment. Why? Uh, we got AJ Styles and Omas, which is how they're saying his name is pronounced now. Uh, going up against Elias with Jackson Riker in his corner. I will say this was one of Elias' best uh, WWE main roster matches. But eventually, uh, it is not enough. AJ Styles hits the Styles Clash for the pin and the win. Uh, afterwards, Riker tries to attack AJ with Elias's guitar. Almost kicks the guitar and shatters it into a million pieces. Riker and uh, Riker and Elias Bale. Eventually, Charlotte is making her way out to the ring because she and Asuka have a tag team match against Pey- uh, Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. And in the middle of all of that, Charlotte also declares herself for the Royal Rumble again this year, grown. I would say before the match, before the women's match starts, Big Show's backstage with Riddle. Orton interrupts and confronts him, taunts him a little bit, tries to rile up the Big Show, but Big Show's not biting again snore, boring, don't care. Like I said, Charlotte and Asuka going up against Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. Uh, decent decent tag match, I would say, but even so, uh, this, is, this is the weirdest thing. So, throughout the match, Lacey Evans is flirting with Ric Flair the whole time in order to try to get Charlotte's goat, and it starts to work. Uh, eventually, Asuka does manage to get a hot tag to Charlotte, and then randomly, out of nowhere, as Charlotte's going after, uh, I want to say it's Peyton Royce at the time, Ric Flair reaches out and trips Charlotte for whatever reason. And then, of course, Peyton ends up pinning Charlotte for the win. And where did that come from? Why Why was that a thing? Like, I I cannot, for the life of me, figure out what the hell happened there. And it, it, it reeks of a botch. But I still have no clue as to why. Um, but anyway, again, match is over. Like I said, not bad, and it showed a good amount of Tag team chemistry, both between Evans and Royce, as well as uh, Charlotte and McIntyre and Sheamus are backstage. Of course, then they're, you know, uh, they are walked up upon by Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart. Again, grown. Uh, Riddle goes out to the ring for a match against Bobby Lashley, along with, uh, who has MVP along with him. Uh, a hot start from Riddle before the match even starts. He jumps Lashley before the bell. Uh, eventually, Lashley fights back, rams Riddle into the post, and, you know, he's just dominating the whole time as Lashley. Riddle starts to fight back, but then, uh, then Lashley hits the dominator into the hurt lock. Riddle does tap out, but thanks to some tricky maneuvering by Riddle, the referee doesn't see it because Riddle, like, tries to get out of it, jumps over the referee. The ref has to duck. And as Riddle's tapping, the ref is looking the actual, absolute opposite way. Lashley lets go of Riddle because he thinks he's won the match, and then Riddle is able to roll up Lashley for the pin. So Riddle has now pinned the United States Championship, or the United States Champion, excuse me. So whether or not that leads to anything in regards to, you know, whether there's going to be a match at the Royal Rumble or within the next couple of weeks, who knows? Um, But I will say at least it's nice to see Riddle actually getting some shine on TV and actually being used for something productive for a change, I guess. So I guess this... I guess this night wasn't a total loss. Uh, You got Mark Henry and Ricochet backstage. Uh, Mark's on a bit of a scooter. Again, Randy comes in trying to cause some shit. Uh, Mark's not having it. Uh, Randy does confirm himself for the Men's Royal Rumble, so there's that. Uh, Bobby Lashley and MVP are getting interviewed, but of course, obviously they're not happy about things. Um, Mandy Rose is scheduled to take on Shayna Baszler, but Shayna jumps Mandy before the match. Dana Brooke then comes down to fill in for Mandy. Mandy. Uh, Shayna is able to lock in the Kirifuda Clutch, but Dana manages to pin her anyway. So Dana Brooke uh, does have a pinfall win over Shayna Baszler. Gee, what the fuck happened there? Wasn't Shayna Baszler booked like a monster not like 12 months ago? And now all of a sudden, okay, she's just one of the everyday average people again. Gee, where have we seen this the fuck before, Vince? Um, Shayna keeps the Clutch locked in uh, afterwards in which uh, Mandy Rose is able to recover and hit uh, the running knee on Shane in order to break that up. Uh, backstage, we run into Ric Flair, IRS, as well as Molly Holly. Randy, again, uh, comes in and interrupts. Rick uh, gets in Rick's face. Rick, you know, claps back at him and tells him, hey, you know, you didn't need to do any of this shit. I wanted to be there with you, but you decided to go off on your own and, you know, do Randy. So now you're, you know, now you're in for it. Um, Randy goes out for a match against Jeff Hardy. Good overall match. Nothing spectacular. Your typical Randy Orton, Jeff Hardy feud. I, I feel like we saw this enough leading up to that uh, Hell in a Cell match they had not too long ago to where I've seen way too many Randy Orton, Jeff Hardy matches. In fact, this one ended pretty much the same way that their match at the Royal Rumble back in, oh hell, what was it, 2008 ended where Jeff went for the twist of fate. Orton swung his way through, countered with an RKO for the win. Uh, let's see, we see Lucha House Party backstage chatting up Molina. Uh, then we go to the ring. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin are in a tag team match against the Lucha House Party. MVP's on commentary. Obviously, we continue to see the dissension amongst the hurt business, particularly between Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. And eventually, Lindsay Dorado is able to get a crucifix pin on Shelton Benjamin in order to win. Uh, so the Lucha House Party take the win there. Again, Angel Garza is backstage trolling for ladies. Uh, talks with Tori Wilson and Nikki Cross. Tries to put the moves on Tori. Uh, Garza ends up, uh, getting sent into another room because he's told, uh, Cardi B and a whole bunch of other folks are in there. Uh, he eventually goes in there, uh, finds only the boogeyman, gets scared away by the boogeyman, in which case R-Truth comes up behind him, pins Garza, takes the 24-7 title back, and, of course, Ron Simmons caps it off with what we're all thinking at this point. Damn! And then, last but not least, we had the hyped-up WWE Championship match between Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee. It's your typical big hoss fight. Keith Lee at one point pounces Drew McIntyre over the barricade, which I thought was great, and Lee was firmly in control for a good section of the match. Uh, eventually, he is, uh, Lee is sent into the corner of the announce table by Drew. That looked like it fucking hurt. Uh, eventually, Keith Lee hit a Spanish fly on Drew McIntyre from the top rope, and it looked almost like Keith damn near spiked himself on the mat. I was uber concerned about that uh, at one point, but thankfully... It looked like everybody was okay. Eventually, Drew tries to go for the Claymore. He is caught by Keith Lee. He's lifted up into a spirit bomb, but Drew manages to counter out of it and hit the Claymore for the win. So, you still your WWE champion, Drew McIntyre. And then, of course, oh, uh, how do we know this was coming? The music hits, and it's Goldberg making his way out to the ring, and he challenges Drew McIntyre to a match at the Royal Rumble. McIntyre box, doesn't give him the match immediately. Uh, Goldberg slaps him, and that's where we fade to black. Like I said, aside from a few bright spots in this episode, I fucking hated this episode. What were your thoughts, Ryan?
1: Well, I mainly have been avoiding Raw completely since after Class of Champions, or. Whenever Vince thought it was a smart idea to have Randy just start killing legends. But um, when I heard exactly how big, how crappy this Raw Legends episode was, I had to check at least a couple of highlights. And yeah, why the hell would you call this Legends Night if the legends are only there for five seconds? Like... Not even longer than a minute worth of their screen time. And some of them, like Big Show Mark Henry, were just there for Randy Orton to go, like, you're old, you're no longer relevant anymore, get the hell out of this company.
0: Which doesn't put Randy over in any sense of the the word. It doesn't make him look dangerous. It doesn't make him look threatening. It matters absolutely zero what he says to these legends because nothing is going to come of it.
1: Exactly. And the worst part about this is that uh, this couple, of course, most recently we had the passing of Brody Lee, John Huber. Yeah. And we had two different tributes from AEW and WWE. WWE was pretty much the show's brain as usual. Uh, some of the wrestlers who were friends who knew uh, John, they did their tributes in their own ways, doing his lariat or talking about him during post-interviews, or like on Raw Talk. But then, of course, uh, what happened afterwards... Um. Uh, Oh my God, Brian Myers, uh, formerly Kurt Hawkins, he uses one tweet to where John Huber does not even get any of the respect, like the, the, the you know the normal tributes that WWE would give to its passing legends. No, oh uh, no, ten bell salute, no uh, moment of silence, no picture like in black and white, no tribute video, and it was the most, and he felt that it was the most big, it was a huge disrespect. But then guess what we get from AEW's tribute. They go all out. Not only do they do the ten bell salute. I mean, despite the fact that everyone believes, you know, wrestling is mostly entertainment and it's mostly a work, but the match that we had of all the Dark Order winning, each match was emotionally charged and each match was all in tribute to John Huber, and Brody Lee, and then at the end, AEW gives its ultimate sign of respect. Not only do they do the whole signal toward laying his boots in the middle of the ring, they retire the Red Belt TNT Championship that Brody Lee had held for him and his son and his family alone. You see the complete differences there between AEW and WWE and how. And I'm not saying that WWE didn't do a tribute video, video later. It's just more of at the time, it was kind of like... It's apples and oranges, and definitely you see here how AEW's treating the legends that they bring into their company compared to how WWE's treating the legends. They're not there for just a quick paycheck. They actually want them involved to help with some of the younger talent, guide some of the younger talent, or even, you know, just, even if they're not there for quick one-off appearances, they're, 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 they're they show up there for a reason, not just to collect the paycheck. And I can't say anything about all the other legends that were there at the WWE. That's their thing. But it's clear it was a complete shit show. I mean, yeah, the Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre match was fantastic. I'm not happy that we're getting Goldberg versus Drew McIntyre for Royal Rumble, which, honestly, that's the that's almost as if you're immediately going to take that belt off of Drew. That's all it's saying, telling me.
0: Yeah, and I'm not looking forward to it, because the the only thing that I can think of as to why they might be doing that is, and this, this is what's got me worried, because I can see where Vince McMahon's head is at with this. Goldberg beats... Drew for the title. Later on that night, Goldberg enters the Royal Rumble, wins it. Roman versus Goldberg at Mania, title for title.
1: I don't want to keep thinking about
0: that. No, because it's it's depressing as shit. It really is. Anyway...
1: I'd rather have a better pair-up. I, I like heel Roman, but to me, I think he'll I think he, I think he'll have a good WrestleMania not to paint a championship. That's just my opinion.
0: Yeah, but, you know, it is what it is, and unfortunately, Vince is going to Vince, unfortunately. All right, well, for now, let's go ahead and move on to something that's a lo- at least a little bit more cheery, and that is New Year's Evil on NXT this week. This actually was a damn good show, you know? Uh, so, obviously, you got Dexter Loomis pissing with the lights before the whole show starts. Opening matchup, just an absolute belter. Damian Priest versus Karrion Cross. Big hoss fight, absolutely awesome. You know, just great, great shit between both of these guys. The whole story is that Damian Priest, no matter how much punishment he takes from Karrion Cross, he just keeps smiling. Is like, hey, I'm still standing, motherfucker. Let's do this. Uh, eventually, uh... Uh, Damien Priest is able to hit the Razor's Edge, but only gets a two count. Uh, Cross hits a powerbomb at one point, but only gets a two count. And eventually, after the last little bit, uh, he does. Uh, Karrion Cross hits a Saito suplex on Damien Priest. And then, just to add a little bit of extra mustard on it, clocks him in the back of the neck with a stiff elbow shot to cover Damien Priest for the win. Uh, gr- uh, like I said, ve- definitely a hard fought match for Karrion Cross, about the hardest fought match he's had since. Uh, that NXT title match against Keith Lee uh, way back when. But other than that, great. Um, yeah, uh, so we get uh, news that the Dusty Road Tag Team Classic is back. Awesome. Uh, Adam Cole and Roderick Strong will be going up against Brizongo next week. That'll be fun. We know Brizongo's nuts. We know Adam Cole and uh, Roderick Strong are absolute beasts in the ring, so that should be fun. Next up, we have a Cruiserweight title match going on between Santos Escobar and Grand Metalik. Uh, Dorado is out in his Megazord-inspired ring gear. I just put nice, because let's face it, I, I'm a I'm a mark for anything Power Rangers. I'm sorry. Um, eventually, uh, like I said, great back-and-forth action. You know, your typical Cruiserweight flippy match, but I mean, it's just, there's a lot of just good, good stuff. Both of these guys are fucking excellent workers. Uh, but eventually, uh, Escobar does get the advantage by hitting, uh, going for the Legato, stopping in the middle of it, and then hitting the... Phantom driver for the pin and the win. He retains the Cruiserweight title. It's going to be interesting to see who they build up in order to take that Cruiserweight title off of Santos Escobar. Either way, a lot, a lot of fun. We get a, a little a video package for Ziya Lee, who is up in action next. Week, uh, before that match starts, though, we also do get a promo from Mercedes Martinez, who is just talking all kinds of shit, which, yeah, let's face it, that's what she does, and she's fairly good at it. Uh, Then we have a match between Xia and Katrina Cortez. Huge squash match, just basically putting over this new ultra-violent persona that Xia has. The new look is great. Just so much good stuff there, so I'm looking forward to where this goes next. Then we have the Fight Pit match, which was postponed, unfortunately. Uh, Timothy Thatcher is injured at the moment, and as soon as that issue gets worked out, there will be a new match scheduled between him and and Tommaso Ciampa to settle the score. Then we move into my favorite match on the night. And yes, I know a lot of people are going to give me hell for that because they're going to say, what about the NXT title match? What about the NXT title match? Yeah, I get it. But to me, this was a fun match either way because I'm a sucker for last man standing, or in this case, last woman standing, which is Rhea Ripley versus Raquel Gonzalez. Really, really good stuff. A lot of back and forth fighting, just laying in kendo stick shots, a lot of good trash talk. Uh, eventually, Gonzalez is able to lay out Rhea Ripley with a chair, sends Rhea into the barricade. We get kendo stick shots after kendo stick shots. At one point, uh, Raquel Gonzalez tries to handcuff Rhea Ripley to the the chain link at the barriers. Rhea is able to turn it around, gets the handcuffs on her. You know, uh, they keep you know just mass just laying into each other. Eventually, Gonzalez is able to rip the piece of chain link out of the barricade in order to get out of the handcuffs. Eventually, Rhea Ripley tries to use the timekeeper's hammer to hit uh, to knock Raquel out. Raquel counters. Uh, Raquel eventually puts Rhea Ripley through the announce table, tries to cover her with a bunch of debris to keep her down. That doesn't work. Eventually, they start to make their way backstage. At one point, Rhea sends Raquel through one of the backstage glass doors. Then we get a senton through, the ta- through a table by Ripley on a Gonzalez backstage. In comes Dakota Kai out of nowhere with a kendo stick to try to help Raquel out. Rhea is able to fight off Dakota. She uh, then stuffs her in a locker and is able to block it with an equipment case to make her a non-factor for the rest of the match. Uh, I don't know about you, but when that happened, I got some bad flashbacks to middle school being stuffed in a locker. Not fun. Uh, After that, uh, let's see, they continue to fight out uh, Gonzalez. They fight, uh, she and Rhea fight on the stage. Eventually, Rhea tries to lock in the inverted cloverleaf. Uh, then wraps a steel chair around Raquel's head for good measure to try to really get her to tap, but eventually uh, Raquel does get out and sends Rhea into one of the LED boards off to the side. Uh, Ripley then counters by sending Gonzalez into another one of the LED boards back at the entranceway, but eventually Gonzalez is able to trip Rhea, uh, yeah, Rhea who lands face first onto the steel steps that are on the stage for some reason, and then Gonzalez sends both herself and Rhea Ripley through the stage, Both ladies are down. Gonzalez, however, is able to make her way up to her feet at the count of 9. Rhea is still down by the time referee counts 10. Your winner is Raquel Gonzalez. This was huge for Raquel. I'm very, very happy to see that she's getting a decent little push. So I'm, I'm very much a fan of that. After that, we get a shot of Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae making their way to the arena. They do make their way in along with uh, Austin Theory and, uh, oh, what's the other girl's name? I can't think of her, think of it off the top of my head. Damn it. Indy Hartwell, there it is.
1: Yeah, Hartwell.
0: There it is. I knew knew I'd remember it after a second. Yeah. But yeah, so they're all, you know, they're all in there boosting each other's egos. Eventually, Shotzi Blackheart interrupts. Uh, Austin tries to go after her, but she shoots him in the balls with her, you know, the projectile from her tank, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, just screamed something out of Jackass, which I thought was hilarious. Eventually, Kushida does make his way out, tries to take out uh, Johnny Gargano, and an impromptu match is made by Dexter Loomis via artwork, which I thought was hilarious. Wade Barrow with a great line. It's like, how do you draw that fast? But yes, so the match is underway. Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae against Shotzi Blackheart and Kushida. You know, really good, like strong back and forth. Like we know all four of these individuals are great workers, so... Eventually, though, uh, Kushida tries for a cross-arm breaker. Uh, Gargano manages to get out of it. Kushida tries to roll through. Gargano locks in a Gargano escape, or at least tries to, but Kushida is able to roll through it into another Jujikatami. But Johnny is able to get to the ropes. We get some tandem offense by both Kushida as well as Shotzi Blackheart. We get a Tope Suicida by Blackheart. Austin Theory tries to cut Kushida off, but Kushida eventually is able to hit a drop toe hold on Johnny who lands headfirst right into Theory's crotch again, because, again, that's always funny. Uh, Kushida is then able to pin Johnny Gargano for the win. Uh, So he has pinned the North American Championship, so it looks like Kushida, the North American champion. I don't know why I keep saying championship. Good grief. Uh, He pins the North American champion in order to hopefully, potentially get a shot at the title somewhere down the line. Uh, We now know that the next TakeOver will be on uh, Valentine's Day, which... I don't know why they haven't just gone ahead and branded it NXT TakeOver St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Like it, the, the writing just writes itself. I know Massacre has a, a negative connotation to it, but still, I think it would work. And then last but not least, we had an awesome, awesome NXT Championship match between Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly. I mean, from the last match that we saw with these guys, we know that they are just absolute beasts. We knew it was going to be a physical match. We knew it was going to be intense, but of course... In the end, we knew what outcome was more than likely going to happen from this. Finn Balor retains and moves on, and Lord knows what's going to happen when he has to get in the ring with Karrion Cross. The question is: Is Karrion Cross going to be enough to take to bring out the demon in Finn Balor one last time? What, uh, but overall, what were your thoughts, Ryan, on New Year's Evil? Definitely a very impressive uh, show. I'm glad
1: that NXT is, you know, getting back up with its, its run of matches. I personally did love the way segment that bled into the mixed tag match. Um, I'm liking the character roles that Austin Theory, Candice, Johnny, and Indy have embraced. I mean, they're not just heels, but they're also comical. But then, you know, they still play the same way. I, uh, the whole, like, you know, Shotzi coming back out with the tank... With Austin getting shot, the you know in the nuts, it was funny. Johnny's, I heard a lot.
0: I heard a good echo from Johnny just going, "No, no." Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, yeah Johnny has definitely been my biggest uh, fan. I've
1: been a big fan of Johnny Gargano in in NXT. I'm glad he's no longer. He doesn't have that freaking curse where he can't defend a championship after one title after winning it. I'm glad that's passed, and it's gonna work for him as a heel. I think it's also going to do wonders for him and his new faction group. And also some of the change that's happening in NXT with the Dusty Rhodes Classic for men and the introduction of the women's Dusty Rhodes Classic. So that is true. I and hope. Johnny
0: and Austin did uh, announce themselves for the Dusty Tag Team Classic. So that should
1: be yes. interesting. And the fact that we're getting a women's one means that Candice and Indy are also going to be involved in that. So yep. this is a great opportunity to... I, I'm pretty sure the way is not going to... Cap, they're not going to replicate what the Undisputed Era did. But it would be fun to see the way all four of them have gold on them. That is a very good angle that I think NXT can capitalize with the new type of faction. But other than that, I am I, I enjoyed every match. My only big issue is just with the Cruiserweight Championship. I get, I get the idea of a long-range champion, but to me, around this time of age, when you have a competitor that you want to strap a rocket to or... Who has that can be able to capture an audience? I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's 20 because with the, at the performance center, or at least in these new uh, closed arenas and small crowds, you can't really tell how they're going to gauge audiences. But to me, sometimes you need to shake things up when it comes with the championship run or with the champion in general. Like, I think, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting it. Santos Escobar, he's yeah. had that championship, I think, good enough. I think it's time someone should take that belt off of him. Let's see how he's gonna react. At how his character's going to react, and then May, I don't think the belt needs to be hot potatoed around. But I think that I think we need. I want to see Santos Escobar try to once again be on the path to becoming NXT Cruiserweight Champion, while giving us a good storyline with Jake Atlas or with I think if it's official that both the Lucha House Party is going to be on NXT going for that championship, that would be a good way. And then also, try to see what you can do for that division because it's only stuck on NXT. I know in NXT UK, they also have the Cruiserweight Championship, but they can't technically collide all brands. They can't collide with each other just yet. There should be like a small... They should probably plant seeds for a storyline to where Jordan Devlin wants to determine who is the ultimate Cruiserweight Champion because some a couple of the highlights I've seen from his defenses have been incredible. But, you know, like right now... One step at a time. It's just going to be difficult to see who they're going to build as the next challenger. Of course, obviously Lindsay the Rival feels like the next one. And then with the last woman standing match, I am glad, I am happy to see that Renee, well, Raquel Gonzalez won. I almost said Renee. I'm glad I caught myself. By the same time, I'm a little, a little, I'm a little upset to see what this is going to do for Rhea moving forward. Uh, obviously, from reports, she might get called up personally to me if she does and this is kind of a good way to write her off nxt you know she's going to be off tv for a while and then she shows up at the women's royal rumble match and then she's officially on the roster afterwards it's a it's a good it's a it's a transition that makes sense i don't want her to all of a sudden she loses it at nxt they write her off and then all of a sudden she appears either on smackdown or on raw that one makes no goddamn sense but the match was very good. It was a great show of strength and determination from both women. And with Dakota Kai coming in, yeah,
0: that was a bit of a rough one. Her getting stuffed into a locker. Yeah. But... Like I <laughs> said, I had some bad flashbacks when that happened.
1: To me, that was kind of like, it didn't look good for Rhea, because all of a sudden that makes her kind of look a bit
0: bullyish. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, um, it is what it is.
1: But... And honestly I don't have anything big to take away from Balor and O'Reilly. It was once again another hard hitting match. Both men nearly tried to injure each other with with their hard hitting shots. Yep. I'm happy that uh Balor retained. Uh I kinda wanna see I definitely wanna see him retain against Karrion Cross. Because Karrion Cross, even though he's got this rocket shot to his back, I wanna see at least Balor get one retain, then Karrion blazes through another Row of contenders to once again challenge Balor for, an, and then we get, to, and then Karrion can have that belt. I think Balor is kind of like the good one. I think he's one of the few people that can give Karrion his first his first loss.
0: Then he can slowly rebuild himself back up again. Maybe we'll see. But again, he's he's on a hot streak right now, and you know how NXT likes their hot streaks. I mean, look at Asuka back in the day.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, they they also cut off hot streaks. I mean, they were they uh, Bianca Belair when she came in, she had an undefeated record until she lost to Shayna Baszler, and then all of a sudden, every time she kept doing her promos that I am undefeated. I get it in a mental landscape, you are undefeated, that you don't let them tear you down. But it's kind of but it's kind of like a poor choice of words in that situation, and even then. I thought uh, with Shayna, she didn't deserve to have that long run as well. Like there could have been at least two contenders to at least take the belt off of her, like within Candice and within Io Shirai before she turned heel.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see that, but I mean, you know, it, it, it could be a good or a bad thing depending on how they book it. Let's just put it that way. So yeah, I don't believe you. I don't. Yeah, I see the I see the point there. Yep. But in any case, all right, let us go ahead and move on to SmackDown. Again, normally Smackdown is pretty good and they had some good stuff this week, but the ending just left me scratching my damn head. I'm like, "What? What in the hell is Vince McMahon thinking?" And I just I just don't know where to go with this one, but let's let's get into it. So the night starts off Roman Reigns is in the ring says what he did last week to Kevin Owens was the fault of one person, one person only. He calls out Adam Pearce, who was the one responsible for putting KO in the match with Jey Uso last week. Um, you know, uh, Pierce starts to argue with Roman, and our Roman says, You know, what are you saying that I'm stupid? Are you saying you're stupid? Are you saying Vince is stupid? Yes. The the entire internet wrestling community for the last number of years has been t- saying the same thing. Vince McMahon is fucking stupid, and he needs to retire already, goddammit. But in any case, not what we're here to discuss. Eventually, Roman gets heated, says, If you know, Pierce is saying that he's stupid. That means he's insulting him. And if uh, Pierce is insulting Roman, then he's insulting his family and his bloodline. He almost goes like he's about to, to throttle Pierce, but Heyman calms him down. And eventually, cooler heads are able to prevail for the moment. After that, we get an intercontinental title match between Big E and Apollo Crews. Again, really good, really good match. Two really big guys who are very, very athletic. So it's. It was a great match to watch. You know, Cruz eventually goes to hit a standing moonsault, tries to cover, Big E eventually kicks out. Cruz goes to grab Big E, but Big E rolls him up, goes for a stretch muffler, but, you know, Cruz kicks him away. Eventually, there's a kick to the head by Cruz, tries to lift Big E up for the powerbomb, Big E gets out of it. Uh, Big E then slams Cruz onto the mat, lands the big ending, goes for the cover, and pins in order to win. Uh, like I said, good overall back and forth match. It's it, an athletic contest between two guys who have a lot of upside, in addition to being two big, burly dudes. So I was not upset about that one iota. Um, backstage, we see Adam Pierce is talking with Sonia DeVille, So apparently, Sonia is now back as some kind of an office assistant. Uh, she says, you know, if she could focus on the negatives of the last year about how her. You know, best friend, beat her in a loser, leaves lose WWE match, and she could be bitter about it, but that's not what she's at and what she's, you know, doing. Uh, she says, you know, obviously it seems like, you know, Adam Pearce could use some help. Says he's working Raw, working SmackDown, putting himself in the gauntlet match tonight. Pearce cuts her off and says, no, I'm not putting myself in the gauntlet match tonight. That's not happening. We'll see what happens there. So after a brief commercial break, we get an interview with Bianca Belair, Uh, Bailey comes in to interrupt, asks Bianca how many women she threw out of the Rumble. Bianca says eight. Bailey tells her, yeah, well, I wasn't one of them because I wasn't in the Rumble last year, so good luck throwing me out. And eventually a match, I believe, is set up, yeah, there is a match set up between the two of them for later on in the night. Uh, we get a backstage segment by Carmella drinking champagne saying, you know, it was really sweet when I pinned Sasha Banks last week, yada, yada, yada. You know, more, more, you know, obvious heel stuff. From Carmella, which, again, this new attitude of hers has been pretty interesting. We then had a SmackDown Tag Team Championship match. The Street Profits defending against Rudolph. That is Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. This one boggles my mind. So after, like I said, a lot of good back and forth eventually. uh, We get a spinning clothesline by Ford. Goes for the cover, Ziggler takes out. uh, Ford goes to the top rope. Uh, kicks Rude away. Ziggler is able to climb the top rope. Drops Ford face first on the mat, almost with an X factor. He goes for the cover. Ford kicks out. Ziggler goes for the super kick. Ford hits him with the super kick instead. Goes for the cover. Rude breaks it up. Dawkins is in. Throws Rude to the outside. Uh, Rude's on the ring apron. Dawkins knocks him down. Ziggler knocks Dawkins off the ring apron. Ford rolls up Ziggler. Ziggler kicks out. Ziggler then goes after Montez Ford's bad leg from where they attacked him last week. Uh, Tags in Robert Roode hits a Fishman Suplex for the cover. Montez kicks out. Roode goes for the DDT. Uh, uh, Ford hits him with an Inseguri. Ziggler tags in. They double team Montez Ford and Ziggler goes for the cover and they get the pin. The Street Profits, which were arguably the most popular act, at least tag team on SmackDown, the only true tag team. That was left on SmackDown. Lost the tag titles to Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler, who for the last number of months have been booked like chumps. <laughs> I don't get it. Anyway, uh, we cut backstage. Adam Pierce is still talking with Sonya. Eventually, Paul Heyman makes his way in. Compliments Adam Pierce and says, Listen, I did you a favor. I got the Tribal Chief, Roman Reigns. Pull some strings. Congratulations, Adam Pierce. You're on the Gauntlet match tonight, so you've got an opportunity to f- fulfill your childhood dream. Good for you. See you later. Uh, Billy Kay is backstage with the Riot Squad. Uh, she tries to tell the uh, tries to tell Live and uh, Live Ruby that they ought to add her into the the mix. Uh, they obviously say no, and then she starts to cry. So Liv tries to give her some comfort. You know, but eventually, um, uh, you know, she you know, they Billy Kay gets the wrong message about things and just obviously walks away. So it's oh, Billy Kay, how far you have fallen. Uh Sami Zayn cuts a promo before he gets in the ring against Rey Mysterio, saying he will be uh he should still be the Intercontinental Champion. In fact, as far as he's concerned, he is still the Intercontinental Champion because there is a massive conspiracy out against him. Uh then we get the number one contender Gauntlet match. Round one is Rey Mysterio versus Sami Zayn. Almost immediately, Rey kicks uh, Sami into the ropes, hits the 619. Frog Splash pin, Sami Zayn is eliminated. Uh, the next up, we get uh, Rey Mysterio now versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Shinsuke really makes it a very, very awesome, like, tight match. This is the best Nakamura, I think, has looked in a long time with the way he, he managed in this gauntlet match. Uh, Nakamura then... Uh, yeah, so he's like, there's a whole bunch of back and forth. Eventually, uh, Ray Mysterio's on the ring apron, gives, a, you know, takes a shot to uh, Nakamura, and then he jumps into the ring. Nakamura catches him. Uh, eventually, Shinsuke goes for the power bomb. Ray reverses it, putting Nakamura down. Ray tries to go for the six one nine, climbs the top rope, but Nakamura gets his knees up to counter the frog splash. Nakamura then goes into the uh, Jijikatami, the cross arm breaker. Ray taps out. Uh, next we get Baron Corbin who attacks Dominic on the outside first, gets in the ring, throws Nakamura into the ring post, hits a cho- and then hits a choke slam on Rey Mysterio for good measure. Why Corbin? Why you gotta be a dick? I mean, I mean that's almost like asking why a fish swims, but I, I mean seriously, like dude, lay off. All right, we come back from commercial. There's a like I said, big back and forth going between Nakamura and Corbin. Eventually, both men are down. Nakamura gets Corbin in the triangle, but Corbin lifts Nakamura up, slams him down. Corbin slides to the outside of the ring and back in, goes for a clothesline. Nakamura hits the Kinshasa, covers, pins, and Corbin is eliminated. Next, we get Nakamura versus Daniel Bryan. Again, another hard-hitting, strong-style match like you know these two are going to bring. Eventually, Nakamura uh, knee is kneeing uh, Bryan in the ribs, goes for the Kinshasa. Bryan ducks. Uh, Brian goes for a kick, but Nakamura ducks, hits, uh, tries to hit the armbar. Brian is reversing it, uh, gets it into a cover. Nakamura kicks out again. Both guys get back up, and they're just kicking, you know, kicking each other left and right. You get right hands by Brian on Nakamura in the corner. Brian hits the yes kicks. Uh, Brian goes for the double knees. Uh, he goes for the double knees again, but Nakamura hits the Kinshasa, gets the cover and pins, and uh, gets Daniel Bryan eliminated. Which now means it is down to. Shinsuke Nakamura and Adam Pierce. As Adam Pierce is making his way to the ring, Roman reigns and Jay Uso attack Nakamura. Superman punch by Roman. Uh, we get a splash by Jay. Pierce gets in the ring and it's just like, you know, what are we doing here? Uh, Jay hits Pierce with a super kick. Roman tells the ref to ring the bell. Jay puts Pierce on top of Nakamura, tells the referee to make the count, which the ref does. Your winner and new number one contender to the WWE Universal Championship at the Royal Rumble, Adam Pierce. It's just what, who, why, just. I mean, I get what's more than likely going to happen. It's going to be once Pierce gets there, you know, Roman's going to get a beat down. He's going to, you know, basically try to pin him without actually having to do any kind of work. Kevin Owens is going to come in. He's going to attack him, and there's going to be a massive continuation of that feud, but it's like. You could have done that with Nakamura. You could have done that with anybody else in that gauntlet match. But you went with Adam Pearce. I don't get it, but like we said before, when when Roman asked the question, everybody at home was yelling, yes, Vince McMahon is an idiot.
1: Only the few hot. I'm going off of what I saw on highlights, and that was mainly the Intercontinental Championship tag championships and Sonya Deville's return. All three. I I did see. I did at least got to watch the gauntlet, but I'm gonna start on the Intercontinental Championship. This was a great, great match between the two of these. Both absolutely. Biggie, Biggie and Apollo are great. Athletic opponents. I'm so glad that no, this was not a situation where Apollo or Biggie didn't do no post-match assaults. It was just two men going for a championship, a clean, straight, like uh, wrestling match. I'm I'm happy that Biggie retained. I I do want to see him have have himself like a good five-month run with that championship, and also I do see obviously that this feud with uh Sami Zayn is not over. No, so. far from it. It's coming back in a big way and uh, I was definitely impressed with the maneuverability and the athleticism I saw from both men. Uh Sonya Vilver returning. I'm actually I mean, obviously we know why she had to leave, and I'm glad she's back. Because her turn in twenty twenty, having her like cut really good promos, she has really shown a lot of improvement from her days when she did when she showed up on the main roster with Paige and Mandy. And even then when her and Mandy were still a team on SmackDown. She wasn't as sharp, but you clearly saw after, like, started this year, she's been very good on the mic. She's been very good in backstage skit promos. And I like how she's not immediately back as a wrestler. They found a way for
0: her to still come back and have her be involved. Yeah. I mean, does it feel a little underwhelming at first? Yeah, but then you realize she's probably still mentally going through some things after that whole breaking and entering situation. So I get it, you know, and you know, this way she can ease her way back into the WWE environment, but not necessarily go, you know, not necessarily jumping with both feet to where she doesn't feel like she's getting overwhelmed by anything. All right. Sorry about that delay folks. Uh, So yeah, Ryan, uh, we just had a little bit of a connection issue, but Ryan, you were going, uh, you were saying about Sonya Deville.
1: Yes, I was. I was mainly talking about that I liked how WWE found a way to bring her back. I mean, because after she did the whole loser-lease WWE, I mean, mostly we knew she wasn't going to be away for long, but the fact she comes back in an administrative role gives her much more camera-to-camera time, but also it does a great way of slowly building her return to the ring. Uh, And I hope and I and I'll be honest. Sonia, as I said before, Sonya has been fantastic on mic work. I think this is going to give her more great opportunity to be on camera to become a great talker. So when she does get into the women's ring again, she's gonna she's gonna be the total package because she's already an MMA trained fighter. She's been adjusting to wrestling. She's it's it's just, she's like I said, she's gonna be the complete package, and I can't wait to see her come back. Yeah, I agree. All and right, my, yeah. I was gonna give my final thoughts ahead, on go. the tag match. Go for it. Despite the fact that Rude and Ziggler have been a mixed-match mix team, they have been the longest-standing mixed-match mix, mix team in a while. They were never just put together overnight. They were a team on Raw, uh, even though like they, they were a short pairing on Raw, They became a parent on SmackDown. I'm not a fan of the fact that Prophets lost the titles, but at the same time, I'm okay with them losing the titles. That means we get to get the Prophets once again fighting for them, but... Yeah, we don't have any tag teams. Uh, The solid tag teams have been broken up, and now it's just going to be a nothing but – it's just going to be – we're not going to have any solid teams coming in, which I am upset about. I don't know WWE took that off of them if they wanted to insert the profits into the Dusty Rhodes Classic. I hope that's not the case. Otherwise, that's a big downgrade. As much as I would love to see the profits go up against any team in NXT – Having them lose the championship just so in Vince's mind he can justify them being on NXT for that once for just for that classic is ridiculous. But also, I don't see any other top teams to go for the championship other than Street Profits. So if they had built more teams on SmackDown, then I could understand them losing it, but they didn't. And then of course I would have preferred Nakamura versus Reigns, but I'm guessing they're doing this to build either Rome. So they, I think they're doing this so they can give more comp- contenders for Roman's championship. Because I know we have Kevin Owens. Now, after that performance, Nakamura gave, we're definitely, Nakamura is definitely in that talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure Daniel Bryan's going for that too, but he's going to have to squash his little beef with Jay Uso first.
0: Agreed. Agreed. All right, well, we will go ahead and we'll take a quick little commercial break while you guys hear a word from our sponsors, and then we will be back with Ryan giving his two cents on everything that happened in Impact as well as AEW this week. So enjoy this brief little word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to that little uh, short ad from our sponsors. We're glad to have you back. All right, Ryan, so what went down this week in regards to uh aew and impact start with aew since that technically came first
1: well impact is airing on tuesday so in the most chronological sense that would be first but i get yeah we should be i can definitely talk about aew right now and then go to impact so
0: either way whatever whatever floats your boat dude
1: yeah oh uh, pretty much what happened on aew i mean it was their first night of their new year's bash after their incredible tribute to Brody lee and what kicked off their New Year's bash was an eight-man tag match between the, with the Young Bucks, SCU, comprising of Daniels and Kazarian, versus the Hybrid Two and the Acclaimed. Mm. Now, this was a great eight-man tag match. Normally, uh, what I mean, cause last year when AW would, when AW were kicking off with multi-man matches, either six, eight. I mean, they they, they always do a great job with two with t- regular tag team matches, and sometimes a six-man match does get on that level but whenever they went over like with eight man ten man, or 12 man matches it was either you know it just fell to the same reason too many bodies in that ring not enough and you know too much chaos too much chaotic energy for them to make it work this actually worked in my mind because you have true veterans out of bucks and daniels and kazarian and then you of course you have a great young teams out of the hybrid Two, even though Evans and Helico have been AW for a while, and they're an established team. So the Acclaim is technically the only young team in this match, but even then, it didn't change from the dynamic there. We have some great combinations out of the Bucks, with involving the Bucks, Kazarian or Kazarian Daniels and Matt or Nick. It changed off that way, and we did get some great heel work involving Jack and Helico, and um, oh my God, forgetting one of the other guys from the Acclaim. Head. But um they but they do show great heel work going in here, like really isolating Daniels or, or Kazarian, making sure either one of those men get most of the heat during the match. So the moment we get Matt or Nick or anybody else tag in, you know, it's the whole situation, you know, fall of fire for storytelling purposes, and while giving the uh, you know, the heels what's up for. It. In the end, the match ends with Nick setting uh yeah. Yeah, no, Matt and Nick both setting up for the Melzer Driver, but Nick changes his mind from instead of doing the Melzer Driver to doing a top rope plancha onto onto Jack and the Acclaimed, with Daniels doing instead of turning from a melt to a Melzer Driver into the BME best meltzer ever, which ends the match and gives the the face to the victory. Nice. What comes to note is after the match. After the match, Daniels and Frankie do talk up the box. They talk up the match, and this plays into a bit of storytelling that comes from AEW Dark. Now, here's the quick. Here's the quick notes. Daniels and Kazarian went on Britt Baker's uh, little talk show segment, the waiting room, mm-hmm. and during that time, Daniels was uh, pouring out his emotions, his uh, his issues, saying that he's not been the wrestler he should have been. And he was, in a way, he was like alluding to he was going to walk out and transition into being like backstage. But Frankie stopped him and said, no, you don't get to walk out in your career like that. So they—so ultimately, Frankie and Kazarian set themselves in this little – put themselves in this corner. If they lose one match together as a team, then SCU is done. Pretty much Frankie and Kazarian – I mean Kazarian – and Daniels are done as a team, and most likely in this situation, Daniels could be done with his wrestling career, and Frankie moves forward either with Sky as a team or as a singles competitor. And now transitioning, how it leads into what happened after the match. Obviously, Kazarian and, Dan- Kazarian and Daniels told the Bucks they have their back no matter what, but they want to play the be- they want to fight the best, and they want to win gold. So there's a seed planted for SCU. Versus the Young Bucks down the line for the AW Tag Talk. Now they're not the number one ranked contenders yet, but the seeds have been planted there to where we're going to see that match happen. Either going to be at Resolution or on a Dynamite. Mm. That so that's the cards on the table in that situation. Right. And then moving forward, uh, we had two different segments. The first segment was a promo from the returning John Moxley. All John said was. He's not upset for what happened with Kenny Omega. He understands the business. He understands that he's not going to always have eyes in the back of his head and things are going to happen. But at the same time, he does, he does warn Kenny to watch his back to make sure that he does not get too happy with that championship because, in his own words, he is Kenny's blind spot, and so he's going to be coming after him. And that ends his promo. Following promo, the following next segment was an interview with uh, Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy with Dasha Gonzalez, which, gets, which, gets, which, which is mainly about Trent's uh, health because he had gotten injured and his injury turned out to be a bit of a torn uh, pectoral muscle or a torn bicep, to where he's going to be on the shelf for a couple of months. But before they get into more details, Miro, Sabian, and Penelope Ford interrupt them, and you know Miro, who's mainly talking, you know, is playing all the heel work, talking about how. Trent was holding them back, but Chuck, not giving any of that, wants to get Miro out of his face. So, which leads to Miro, which leads into a match with Miro and Chuck Taylor next week on Dynamite, but with a stipulation. If Chuck loses, he's going to be Miro's young boy, uh, all the way up to the wedding. Now, for our viewers who are not who don't understand what the term young boy is, is a term coming from Japan, where um, a young a young rookie or a young wrestler, you know, pretty much a rookie or someone that has been uh ment- that's being mentored by a veteran. So what the rookie mainly does is that in a way they kind of do everything a veteran does. You know, either if it's you know uh, making sure lock rooms nice, they drive them around, they help get them food, or you know they're they're kind of like their warm up partners, and at the and also you know. I don't say they're in their corners, but they're there kind of be like a sparring partner in a way. Um, I don't have the exactual definition here, but a young boy in a way is kind of like wrestling's term for a, a sparring partner. You know, they're there to uh, make sure the other guy looks good, make sure he's good and ready, and also to make sure that you know they don't lose a step. But most likely in this story turn in this storyline, all it means that young boy is that Trent is going to be, I mean, Chuck is going to be Miro's slave. That's 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 all in layman's terms. He's gonna do whatever Miro wants. He's gonna do whatever Miro requests him to do until the wedding of Kip and Penelope. That's mainly the stipulation that's gonna happen next week on Dynamite. Man. Yeah, that's gonna be a lot. That's a lot oh, for yeah. that's gonna be a lot for Miro and Chuck to carry on. Now we move into the next match of the night, and it is the the match of the Hosses. Jake Hager versus Wardlow, which was set up a couple of weeks ago, which has been implanted for a while. We've seen whenever MGF has been with Inner Circle, Wardlow and Hager have never took their eyes off each other, that they've always had an issue with each other. So this is a match where both of these men get to get their aggression out. And this was a real big hoss fight, but you get to see two different styles happening here, with Hager, mainly an MMA guy, relying heavily on his striking and his uh and his reach because of his height in order to keep the in order to you know remain dominant over Wardlow but because Wardlow is also another quick agile muscular guy he's able to neutralize some of Hager's striking with some of his power moves or with his slams and his high impact uh with his high impact moves now the match it starts in the ring it brawls out but What's interesting is you have Jericho, which I should have said, Jericho has been on commentary. Jericho is on commentary throughout the entire night. He does not leave commentary, so it is mainly him, Tony Schiavone, Jr. and uh, Excalibur. All four of these men are on the table, and Jericho, he's pretty much being the heel. You know, he's being annoying at times. He's kind of yelling into the mic, but also during this match, you have all of Inner Circle at the top of the at the top of the stage watching this brawl between Hager and Wardlow happen. In the end, Wardlow wins by getting his F10 on Hager, winning the match cleanly. No dirty tactics, nobody interfering, and no distractions. Which was kind of interesting, because normally AEW, they've always done a good job of never doing dirty tactics defend only for a finish. It only happens on big situations like we saw with Kenny versus Moxley, and distractions Never oh, never usually play a role in somebody winning, no matter who's on someone's ringside. But I do like that here, because with Wardlow and Hager winning, this, which I'm going to allude to later, is going to plant the seeds into another little fasting subplot with the inner circle. But with that match out of the way, there's three more segments that happened afterwards before we got to our next match. Segment number one. We had a weigh in for the TNT Championship. Pretty much, it was Cage and Darby Allen coming to the ring, you know, doing this, you know, kind of like a boxing and MMA do weigh ins before the actual match begins. Now, it's pretty much just a dog and pony show because Cage, he's he's obviously the more physically imposing, physically bigger and larger competitor to Darby Allen. But also, this is a way for Taz to, once again, talk crap and talk shit to uh, Darby. But this time, it was just more Darby didn't, didn't want to deal with any of this stuff. He pretty much just said, "Let's get to the fun part." He gets a boy, he gets a skateboard ready to fight, but then lights go out, and once again, Sting comes out, uh, and he's in Darby's corner. Now, the commentators, funny enough, they're kind of they're trying to play it off as if they don't know exactly what this relationship between Sting and Darby Allen is right now, because last week, Darby and Sting both came out together through the back like, through the audience on last week's Dynamite. Right. But this time, you know, but even then, there is still a bit of a relationship between these two. Now, there's no words said between them. It's all leaving up to everyone's impression or everyone's idea of what it, what it is. But in the end, it's more like, Sting comes out, he pulls out his bat, but instead of Team Taz wanting to fight like Brian Cage did last week, Taz actually tells his boys to go out. Now, from a personal standpoint, Having Sting come out every week scaring off the, the goons, the bad guys, it worked for, for a while. But then, if he keeps doing it more and more often, it's going to really get stale. But, there have been some changes in that dynamic. Because last week when they did that, Brian Cage was the one who wanted to fight. But Taz had to hold him off. And then again, we saw, and slightly, you couldn't tell with the lights off. But Brian Cage and Powerhouse Hobbs Powerhouse wanted to fight. But Taz holds them off again. Meaning that Taz, he's the one that's preventing his own boys from fighting because he's trying to think in steps as a manager. But that's just what I'm getting from there. Right. And then a the final segment was an interview with Jurassic Express, pretty much going to be talking about their match going up against FTR next week. I think it's for a number one contendership to the Bucks, but it was going to be their It was going to be a regular interview, but of course, like every face interview, the heels interrupt. And, they're, and it's pretty much just Cash and Harwood and Wheeler just insulting Marco Stunt, saying that Jurassic Express is mainly just Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt is just their mascot. And they also allude to a fun little promo that happened with Negative One, which is Brody Lee Jr. and Marco Stunt. Saying that Brody Lee Jr. had more balls than Stunt did, which lit a fire in Marco Stunt. Pretty much saying that the tag match between Jurassic Express is mainly going to be—it's going to be consisting of Jungle Boy and Marco against FTR. Now, I'm surprised that Luchasaurus or Jungle Boy didn't try to intervene anything like that, but it's set in stone, and we're going to get that match next week on Dynamite, or I, I'll double look at the card. But pretty much, yeah, next week. It's going to be Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt making up of Jurassic Express versus FTR for a number one contendership shot. That'll certainly be I, interesting. Yeah, and I've personally seen Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt work as a team when Luchasaurus was injured. Now, they do have a great tandem with each other, but the issue is that since Luchasaurus came back, we have I've not seen that tandem in a while. I've seen Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt as a tandem, but it's mainly been Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. So maybe Jungle Boy and Marcos had more time to train with each other, practice team moves in order for them to put on a great match. But there's the Faces are really going to have a big disadvantage going in for the tag match. Yeah. And then next up, we have our match. It is Cody Rhodes accompanied by Snoop Dogg versus Matt Seidel. This is just a simple regular one-on-one match, but also as a promo to market the Go Big Show, which Snoop Dogg and Cody Road are co-hosts on. Yeah.
0: Which I did see the first episode of that, by the way. it's It's actually fairly interesting. Now I, I haven't got a chance to see
1: an episode yet, but pretty much Stu Dogg was on ringside Cody's Corner instead of Arn Anderson. Now, this was a good match. Matt Seidel, from what I've been watching from AEW Dark, has really been improving. In, well, not improving, but he's really been showing a lot of good ring work. And he's changed his style, too, because everyone remembers from All Out, from the uh, Battle Royal, when he came in as the Joker, and he slipped on that turnbuckle, you know, that really hurt his stock there in AEW. But the funny thing with AEW, what they did... They didn't try to write him off or push him to the side or, you know, put him apart from team to get losses. They changed – they added it into a funny little storyline with Michael Nakazawa. And people, if you don't know who Michael Nakazawa is, he's pretty much the – he's pretty much that wrestler who comes to the ring and covers himself in oil. Now, they used that oil to help plant a storyline that it was Nakazawa that caused Seidel to slip on the turnbuckle which led Seidel to becoming more aggressive in his fighting. So he he barely does a lot of high-flying, which he would normally do maybe in Ring of Honor or New Japan. He's become more of a technical and submission wrestler, and that's been shown in his matches on Dark, and I got to see that here in his match against... And you get to see it here against Cody as well. And it is a great technical match. You see him pulling out some great fast-paced mat technique moves. You get to see him and Cody really get to measure and feel each other out. Now it does, during the match, it leads to the outside where Cody has Matt against the guardrail on the heel side of the fence. And when he's attacking Matt, Cody goes in for a big right arm. He accidentally hits Serpentico when Matt Seidel dodges, which gets in the ire of Luther. And Cody Prima says, it was an accident, I didn't mean to hit him, but they continue the match going on forward. But the match does end with Cody coming out on top. But after the match is what's interesting is because we get a post-match assault from Serpentico and Luther, who are the team known as Chaos Project in AEW. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the heels start to beat down on Cody, but then you see an interesting thing where Soup Dog is right there on the ramp. Every the phases are yelling out for soup, and then you get to hear people yelling out for Snoop for him to get involved. But he doesn't charge or attack them like what anybody, like what any other company would have done. What happens is that Matt Sydal sees what happened. He attacks Luther, and then Cody gets himself a nice kick, uh, a good um, bicycle kick onto Serpentico to knock him down. And then we get the setup. Um, Snoop, Matt Sydal was going to go to the ropes to do a, to do his uh, uh fort to do a shooting star press, but instead Snoop Dogg cuts him off, and he goes onto the ropes. To do a top rope splash. Now, if you watch it, he doesn't do a perfect splash because he kind of he just jumps off and then he lands down on his feet and knees, but then his body hits Serpentico. But the way Serpentico sells it makes it look like he got hit with a five star. But even then, with Snoop with with Snoop Dogg's age and how old he is, it's kind of surprising he went he actually decided to do something like that. Mm, fair. Yeah, that's true. And then, and then a, a, a continuing a continue funny moment was that Jericho, being the heel, yelling out was like, Why the hell is Snoop Dogg doing this? He's a terrible person! He's a terrible human being! And then Snoop Dogg was so jazzed up, he goes over to hug Jericho, and the camera slightly catches Jericho, you know, raking a little bit, cracking and smell hugging Snoop Dogg. But then moment <laughs> oh, least Jericho just goes, I still hate that guy!
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, get over yourself, Jericho. That's
1: great. Yeah. So it's still like a funny moment with AEW. They understand that, I mean, the, the, it's also Jericho as a pro, and, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't realize the cameras caught him, but it was just kind of like, yes, yeah, Stupel comes to hug him. Pretty sure the other commentators would have brought that up. But it's not something to make a big molehill out of for continuity's sake. But it still yeah. was a great match and a nice little fun leap to give the fans happy before we move into the next match because there's no more segments. It just goes match, match, match. And I'll say that Cody and Matt was the one of three main event matches of, of the night. The first one, the second one was Sheeta versus Abaddon for the AEW Women's Championship. Right, I forgot they were doing that. Yeah, they were. And Abaddon, since her return, has really played up her has really her character has been given like a big, like a a bit not well, not like a big rocket, a big angle over Sheeta. To where Sheeta, her every week has been. Physically and psychologically intimidated by Abaddon. And they have shown in certain matches, when Abaddon attacks Sheeta, Sheeta would hit her down. Abaddon just gets back up, like uh, pretty much like a zombie or a Frankenstein, to where whatever attack she did, did no damage onto her. And then one of the previous weeks, Abaddon pretty much attacks Sheeta, but what she does, she takes a bite out of Sheeta's uh, sh- uh, neck into the match because when Sheeta comes out she has oh, a scarf or like a bit like a, a long thick ribbon ru- tied around her neck to hide the bite mark but before Shida can even you know do her entrance Abaddon just immediately attacks her and we get the match going and it's really a physical and hard and it's really a physical match between the two of them I to, I don't know where Abaddon personally ranks among Shida's uh, opponents but I will do say this storyline wise, you can say Abaddon was like the Undertaker against Sheeta who could have been like um, if you had to find a wrestler compared to maybe like Ricky Steamboat or uh, Bret Hart to where no matter how much she threw at her, Abaddon just kept coming back and tormenting her even more. And then we do we do the same and then Abaddon does the same thing that she did to Sheeta last week. She takes a bite out of her. But then there's this funny thing to where she rolled, they throw her under the ring and Abaddon chases. The moment they pull her out, she does coming out with blood, just spe- smear coming down her neck as if Abaddon, once again, took another big bite out of her. And while it is a great show, there is one little consistency problem that you will notice throughout the match. Abaddon does pretty much, you know, she puts her hand on that little bite mark, you know, to make it hurt more. Mm-hmm. But because... It is stage blood. It dries up very quickly. So if anyone was really good with computer or, like, good at free framing and zooming in, you'll notice there's no bike mark there and the blood dries away very quickly. But the camera doesn't last too long on it. But Sheeta ultimately wins by getting her Tamashin knee run and beating Abaddon. Once again, climbing another, like, another competitor, beating another tough competitor to once again solidify her run as the women's champion. Uh, this is I, I do enjoy this match despite a few continuity like mistakes I was I was able to overlook these and enjoy for what it was and see how the women's division is getting is slowly starting to get more serious because this was the second this was the second to last match of the night and the fact it was the AEW Women's
0: Championship was an impressive feat. Yeah, very, 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 very true. All
1: right, and finally we have our main event which is Kenny Omega defending his AEW heavyweight championship against Ray Phoenix. The man he technically didn't beat because he had to step out of the single match eliminator due to injury. Now, this without a doubt match of the night in my mind. Like I said, this like I said this had three main event level matches. This was definitely the main event level match because Phoenix Pulling off all the stops, like you can almost say this was the American sequel to their match at the uh, AAA, uh, for the AAA championship when they were in Mexico, nice. between Kenny and Ray Phoenix. So both these men, you, there's this match has so many positives, because both these men have already wrestled each other, they're very familiar with each other's styles, but at the same time, they understand it's a different audience, so it's still a great mesh of, uh, of, wrestling, of, of wrestling abilities and styles, you see. Kenny really playing up the heel very well. You have, uh, of course, Don Carlson's corner, and El Penta, Penta El Zero is in Ray's is in Ray's corner as well. No, 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 he doesn't actually. I, 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 I went a little too quick. Before Ray came out, there was a quick backstage little promo with Pac, pretty much you know introducing Death Triangle, talking up Ray Phoenix. They pretty much said Ray is going to be out there alone by himself. So even though Don Cowles was at ringside, he didn't make no difference in the match. It was pretty much between Kenny and Ray. Honestly, there was just so much for me. I did, I wanted to take notes in this match, but if I took notes, I'd lose my eye off the ball. But there was just so much. There was so much good stuff. Like Ray was a ball of fire with his constant athletics. The when he the move I love when he does is that fake out with the ropes, like. When, you know, you, you've seen the, you've seen his matches, James, where he's thrown to the road, he's thrown to the ropes, but then he does a quick swing like he's going to do a six one nine, and then comes back in the ring and does a spinning heel kick. Oh yeah, he did that twice, but the second time he did that, it, Kenny scouted it so well and so well timed where he ducked it and then turned it into and hit him with a V trigger, Oof. like so many great, well timed hits from both of these men, and then of course it ends with Kenny getting the one wing angel beating. Ray Phoenix.
0: I mean, I mean, was there ever any doubt that Kenny was going to retain? But we knew it was going to be an absolutely entertaining match, one way or the other. Yeah, but
1: I think now we definitely need to talk about. Now I'm going to talk about what was the most surprising. Yeah. uh, What what was the most surprising afterwards? After the match, Kenny starts attacking Phoenix, but then comes out uh, Pac and Penta. Attacking Kenny, but when they were trying to help their buddy, who shows up? The Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows. Both of them come out to help Kenny fight him off. You know, do you know, do this? You know, pretty much teasing what has been set up with Kenny showing up on Impact in those backstage
0: skits. Actually, I think I gotta, I think I gotta stop you there because didn't uh, didn't Pac and Penta get attacked by? What's your blade in Eddie oh, Kingston that, backstage. Right, that is
1: right. You are correct. I'm so sorry. You are right, because Kenny's being attacked, and then Don Cal's reference something in the back. It is Pac and Penta being attacked by uh by Eddie Kingston and his family. You are correct. Oh my god, the, the another team did come out to help him.
0: I think it was the varsity blondes, wasn't it? Yes, Griff, yeah, Griff, Garrison,
1: and Brian Pillman Jr. They wanted to scare them off, but then yeah, then LG. And Anderson show up. That is correct. I'm so sorry. I completely forgot about that part. No problem. I was so overtaken with the moment. But yeah, they have they end up attacking them. But then they end up actually getting some of the teams angry. Like some of the face teams start to come in, like Gun Club and uh, a few others. But of course, LG and Gals they they also hit them away. But then the Bucks come in. They're trying to hold off the Good Brothers. Trying to you know trying to get everything everyone's head straight. But then the moment Griff – and Brian grab Kenny. Gallows and Nick do a super kick onto both of those men, and it leads into this like pandemonium moment to where Kenny, in his little heel drunkenness, holds up the two sweets symbol. Of course, Gallows and Anderson join him because they're with him. And because everything is going so fast, I'm thinking because of TV time, I think Matt and Nick want to play off a bit of the confliction, but immediately they went in for the two-suite, and then it looks like there that we got a, a mini Bullet Club, like the Bullet Club boys are back in AEW and in impact to close out the night.
0: Yep, and I'm sure there'll be a cease and desist letter on Tony Khan's desk in the morning.
1: Well, it doesn't matter to them because, let's be honest, Vince has not not, not done shit with that. But even though it was a great show with AEW, I was impressed with most of the matches. They did a great job of setting up some great storylines and teasing matches for next week. And there's even even another great card for next week on AEW as well. But other than that, for this week, James, your thoughts on this match? You don't need to break down like I did, but whatever stuck out for you or what you thought was just fantastic with this
0: show. I mean... Like the opening tag match, I thought was really, really good. Again, the match between Hager and and Wardlow was great, and then uh, the moment with MJF backstage trying to calm Hager down after the loss and everything, I thought was great too. I forgot to
1: mention that. I forgot to mention yeah. that. Thank you for bringing that
0: up. No problem. And it's like okay, it's showing that he's really trying to work behind the scenes to get these guys trust because I'm pretty sure he's gonna be the he's gonna be trying to usurp uh, Chris Jericho and that, and that's gonna lead to a pretty awesome. Friggin' feud, uh, but yeah, that that main event and the Bullet Club thing—I mean, that that stole the show. I mean, granted, we know Cody. Cody can put on a great match in his sleep, for Christ's sake. But him and Matt Sydal were really good. I'm curious to see how the whole young boy thing goes with uh E.T. T and Miro next week. Yeah, and then obviously, like I said, the, the 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 money was in the main event with Kenny Omega, Phoenix, great, just great back and forth, excellently timed. You know, just maneuvers and counters and all this and then of course like you mentioned with the two suite, the bullet club reunion, whether or not that carries over, whether the Bucks are actually going to carry on through with that into whatever the next little section of this is that still remains to be seen but it was a hell of a moment and a great way to kick off a new year for AEW and the AEW Impact Partnership. Um, where it goes from here, I still have no idea but all I can say is I I'm seeing the money in the crossover and as long as it's green I don't think Tony Khan or any of the elites or anybody else in AEW is going to have shit to say about it.
1: That's true. Uh, but even then, a, Khan has Khan has been working Khan and Kyle's been working out like a very good partnership with what's happening in Impact, which I'm going to talk about later when I do talk about Impact, but even then you're some uh, what like I know. I mean, you did talk. Uh, what else, like, stuck up? I mean, what else, like, really caught your attention with AEW?
0: Well, yeah. Um, like I said, the obviously the main the main attraction was the main event, obviously. But, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, Cody, Cody and Sidell L was a great match, great back and forth. I mean, we know how great of a worker Cody is. We know he's good at making people look good. Obviously, the story building between Darby Allen and Sting definitely caught my attention because. Let's face it, it's fucking caught everybody's attention in this whole, you know, ridiculousness with regards to him showing up in AEW because I feel like he is going to be the one to really foster Darby Allen to the next level to be that silent, stoic, vigilante kind of person like he was in WCW. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to the match next week between Brian Cage and Darby Allen because we know Darby Allen's a bump machine. He'll make. Cage look like a million bucks, but in one way or the other, he is. I, I have a feeling Darby's going to be retaining that TNT championship. Which I will say, I wasn't expecting a massive turnaround with the design or anything, but I will say the black strap I think works a lot better than the red one did. Yeah, so you're, um, you're not wrong. The black one does make the championship look better, especially with that big, especially with the middle where it simply just says TNT and had that big silver round there. Yeah, it just pops I mean, it a little more. Yeah. I'm yeah. still planning on getting uh, the
1: red belts in honor, not just in honor of Brody Lee, but I think it's also a great-looking belt. Yeah. Well,
0: I know I know for a fact that my next paycheck comes in, I will be ordering one of those Brody Lee tribute t-shirts uh, from ProWrestlingTees.com. Yeah. If you haven't already gotten yours, please do so today. They don't pay us to tell you that. It's just doing the right thing to support a great family and a great human being who was taken from us far too soon. That is true. All right, well, uh, what was the rundown on Impact then, my friend?
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, just before I get to Impact, I, I, I know normally we don't try to preview what's going to be happening up next, but I just wanted to get like your quick thoughts as well, especially for New Year's Smash for next week's card, because there's some good matches. Not only do we have the TNT Championship next week, not only will we have Jurassic Express versus FTR, and then Miro versus Chuck Taylor, we're also going to have Pop versus Eddie Kingston, it's been teased that the Elite are going to reunite for a six-man tag match. Don't know who it's going to be up against. And then, one match I'm actually going to be looking forward to is, the, is Serena Deep defending her NWA Women's Championship against Ty Conti.
0: Ooh, that'll be an interesting one. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, that sounds like we've got a friggin' loaded card next week. I mean, Kenny and the Young Bucks going up against, you know, any six-man tag, with any luck, uh, with any if I had a hazard a guess, I'd say it's probably going to be the dark order. Um, because that's the only other six person tag I can think of that would work, uh, work with that right now. Because like you said, uh, Trent's out for the next couple of months. Uh, Jurassic express has already got their hands full with, um, the FTR, but it's going to be Marco and jungle, jungle boy. boy. So I'm trying to think if there's any other trio in there that would work. Um, uh, because Eddie Kingston's already involved with Pac, that that's going to be a match to watch is Pac versus Kingston because we know how brutal and how stiff both of those guys can make their work look. So that's going to be that's going to be a damn good uh, damn good match. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, uh, Jungle Boy. It'll see it'll be interesting to see how Jungle Boy and Marco's style works with obviously that old school, you know, Southern style wrestling that you know FTR are known for. So that'll be that'll definitely be a dynamic match as well. And then, yeah, the, the, like I said, the two that have me the most interested out of the ones you listen listed are definitely Tycanti versus Serena Deep for the NWA Women's Title, and of course um, Kingston versus Pac. Like those those two will be the one to watch. And of course, uh, the TNT Championship match between Darby and Brian Cage, which will most likely I'm gonna say if if that's not the main event, it'll be the six man tag with the Elite.
1: Yeah. Personally, to me, I think a championship needs to be the main event, but because it's Kenny Omega and and he is the heel, yeah. they are going to try to play up that he should be the main event. I would not be shocked if the if the NWA Women's Championship was the, was the main event.
0: Yeah, true, but like like we mentioned, like the storyline between the Bucks, Kenny, the Good Brothers, all of that's going to be front and center because that's that's your main event storyline right now. So that and, one's probably going to be the one to close the show, but. Uh, I, I definitely look for Pock Kingston to steal the show. If not, Darby versus Brian Cage, really. That's true. Yep. All
1: right, but now let me start talking about Impact Wrestling. Um, this uh, this past week of Impact, they were definitely building up really to their main pay, to their main pay per pay- view, pay- 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 Hard to Kill, because they cut in with K- they were during the opening. They did, We're talking about Kenny is here, you know, once again, in his own special little uh, trailer with Don Callis and, of course, with the Good Brothers, you know. So they were alluding that throughout the mostly in the entire match. I mean the entire show. But what kicked off the show for Impact was a four-way match between four X Division uh, fighters, which was Casey Navarro, Crazy Steve, Blake Christian, and Austin, Ace Austin who was accompanied to the ring by Madman Fulton. This match was mainly just a setup for their, the return of the Super X Cup, which apparently was happening this weekend. I did not, which, which which happened this past Saturday, which I was unknown of, which I, of course, did not know about. It just came back into Impact. But other than that, this match was a good fast-paced X Division match. Um, good frenetic pace, honestly, but... It didn't look to me that there was no nobody had like there was nobody who was really on top in the entire match. It was always trading out between certain competitors. Ace Austin would have the advantage for a few minutes, then it would switch to Crazy Steve, then it would be to Blake Christian, Ace Austin and Navarre and, Navar- and Casey Navarro. There was one takeaway I would have to take from this match was that you need at least one moment to where you had somebody on top, and Ace Austin and Crazy Steve are the most notable Impact wrestlers. Ace Austin is clearly the biggest heel in that match. So it should have been him using Madman Fulton to maybe take out two of the other guys. So then it could be one-on-ones for Ace Austin to dominate. But that didn't happen most of the time. But in the end, the match ends with Crazy Steve getting the pin on Casey Navarro after building some momentum in the match. Ace Austin had accidentally got himself knocked into Madman Fulton. And he got rolled out the ring, but Ace didn't bother on breaking up the pin, even though he could have. Because this match really had no stakes going on. This was just a talk-up for the X Division tournament that was happening on Saturday. And, of course, trying to also put a spotlight on uh, Blake Christian, who who I think they're trying to put as the new guy for the X Division. You know, as the new uh, diamond of the X Division. Right. Uh, Let's see. Okay, going out next, we had a tag team match between Rhino and Cousin Jake going up against Eric Young and Joe Dory. Now, this match was definitely a – this is a definite storyline match because Eric Young, when he came back to Impact Wrestling, he had been on a warpath. He captured the Impact Championship off of Eddie Edwards. And throughout his entire run, saying does not belong to you, you know, pretty much playing up like conspiracies, you know, to where this company is trying to, you know, take away the real passion of wrestling. Like he said he's been there to wake everybody up. And when he lost the championship, he was gone off of TV for a while. But then he came back with Joe Dorian, who was most notably, who who is most notably known in New Japan. Now him and Joe Dorian, all they've been doing has just been interrupting matches and attacking wrestlers. And then it, it started to become a storyline feud when Rhino got himself involved because he's very familiar with Young and Doring, and he knows exact and he has an idea of what they're doing. But still, they were attacking people, and then it led into at the time this was a tag team of the Dieners. Uh Cody Deaner and cousin Jake, who storyline are family. They've been attacking for a while. Eric Young and Joe have been pretty much attacking them, calling them losers, calling them nobodies, saying that they don't deserve to be here. And then at their pay, at one at their last pay-per-view, Cody Deaner turned his back on his cousin by saying he's not a nobody. And so last week's on last week on Impact, there was a there was a highlight promo of pretty much Eric Young trying to um, not interrogate, but pretty much to wake Cody Deaner up. And it involved him and involved uh Eric Young Looking at Cody Deaner, you know, pretty much reminding Cody that you are overlooked, you are not taken seriously, you are pretty much a nobody. So it's pretty much like they were initiating him into Eric Young's mental mindset, which leads into the tag match. It was originally going to be Eric Young and Joe Doring but instead, Eric Young brings out a new heel, Cody Deaner. Because Cody Deaner, and Cody and the way Cody Deaner looks, he's just more aggressive. But one notable difference is that if people, would, if people went online to to uh, do images on Cody Diener, he was mainly known for always carrying a, a ball cap and having long hair. Well, the hair is gone in this moment. This is mostly to show his new edge, his new uh, aggression as a competitor. Now, it's just a simple tag match, you know, going back and forth. Pretty much, Cousin Jake has been avoiding wanting to fight Cody Diener, but Diener, at the same time, has still been wanting to fight him. Like, he's he doesn't care at this point anymore. But then later on in the match, uh, Rhino, who gets the hot tag, has been taking down Diener like a house of fire. And then he tags in Jake. But then, of course, unknown to Jake, Diener blind tags in uh, Joe Doring. Rhino, unfortunately, gets wiped out by Cody Deaner from a low blow, and then he low blows Jake and hits him with a, DD, a DDT to win. And then after the match happens, Eric, Joe, and, D, and Cody start attacking both men, but they get the save from Tommy Dreamer. Nice. Now, Tommy Dreamer cuts a great promo, talking about violence, understanding people wanting to make a name for themselves, and also talking about how he spent... Over 15 years in his business, nearly trying to kill himself. So this sets up a match at Hard to Kill with a trios match. It is Tommy, Dreamer, Cousin Jake, and Rhino versus Deaner, Young, and Doreen in an old school rules match. I don't know what an old school rules match is, but I'm pretty sure they're going to explain more next week that's building up to Hard to Kill. Damn, sounds interesting. After this match, we had pretty much just uh, a simple promo between a war of words, between Taya Valkyrie and the Impact Knockouts champion, Deonna Purrazzo. Mm. <laughs> now, but the story the story here is that Deonna Purrazzo, when she made her debut in Impact, she pretty much was a house. She, she really had herself a rocket strapped to her back. She dethroned Knockouts champion Jordan Grace and... Actually competed in probably the first ever Impact Iron Woman match, a 30-minute Iron Woman match to where she retained. Then she had storyline feuds against Kylie Ray, who departed. Uh, Susie, which was the alternate persona of Sue Young.
0: Right. And
1: and then an interesting storyline to where she went where she lost her championship at Bound for Glory against a returning Sue Young, because with Sue Young when she came it's a long story with Su Young, but all I remember is that Su Young was in a feud against Jessica Havoc. She lost that feud, and she was scripted. She was on camera killed off, but mm. she comes back as a face, as a persona of Suzy. Right. Now the thing with Suzy is everyone. Here's the thing: no one's, no one is alluding to anything. They all know it's Su Young. They just never seen her like that. But this is, but in the, in the character of Suzy, this she is Suzy. So throughout most of her run, her face run before uh, the closed audiences, before the you know the, the oh, before twenty twenty, yeah. she was pretty much playing the nice girl. You know, she was uh, being the face. She formed alliances with Kylie Ray, but during the middle of June, before the time of WrestleHouse uh, Impact's own little cinematic version of matches, thirteen eight of Do Young starting to come back, mm. which culminated in at Bound for Glory with. Sue Young returning for an absent Kylie Ray, taking the knockout championship from Deanna. Now, Deanna won it back with the help of James Mitchell, for whoever are familiar with TNA and Impact, should be aware of this character. Which then finally leads into Deanna in her defense. She had a defense at, the last, at last year against Rosemary. She won, and Rosemary and Taya Valkyrie have formed a friendship and alliance with each other and so Rosemary lost. So Taya Valkyrie is next in line, and so which leads to this war of words. All Diana was pretty much this was pretty much simple. They they were listing their accomplishments. They were going back and forth on each other. But Diana but Diana actually cut the deepest because she talked about when Taya came into Impact. She had her husband, which was John Morrison, Johnny Impact, you know. But he left. He had. And Taya also had herself a manager by the name of Johnny Bravo, who, storyline, is married to Rosemary, but he's no longer accompanying her to the ring. And now, all Diana said it won't take long for Rosemary to leave her. Mm. All this ends with Taya just shoving Kimberly, who has become an ally to Diana Perazzo aside. She just shoves her down and just tells Diana, Be careful because I'm coming back for the championship, and that's it. Nice. But, but, if, but even if people go back you just go to Impact and watch it it is a solid promo don't just go off of my simple review Taya and Diana have shown in Impact they are amazing wrestlers especially if you're only familiar with Diana from her short time in NXT and on the WWE main roster you will see from her matches on Impact she was sorely underutilized in WWE I 100% will, agree you know, yeah, 100%. You will see how underutilized she is, and you'll see how much Impact has made her a, a foundation in their knockout division, like a true competitor. Alright, now, from that, let's transition into a knockout tag match. <clears throat> now, I need to, once again, lay another quick groundwork. At the Bound for Glory pay-per-view, Impact had announced that they are bringing, they are resurrecting... The Knockouts Tag Team Championship, which was around during the time of TNA before it became Impact, mm-hmm. but the Knockouts Championship was a great introduction to it at a time which was a very heavily stacked uh, women's division in TNA, which mainly did at the time consist of, of uh, Victoria, who was Tara at the time. It had Mickey James. It had... Um, Madison Brooke. Rain. Yeah, Madison Rain. It had... Oh my God, I'm forgetting her name. Brooke, but let so keep moving on It was huh brook Tessmacher. yes brook mocker uh the beautiful people which was angelina
0: love velvet sky gail kim odb uh roxy Lavo, awesome kong let's not like, forget a, one know, of odb's t- uh tag team partners at the time eric young yes eric
1: young that was a big stack and but now with this with the team tournament returning I mean, with the titles returning, they set up a tag team tournament, which consisted of a lot, mainly two two established teams, and every and every other team was kind of either put together or from the independents. Like, the main consistent team we had was uh, the team of Jessica Havoc and Nevaeh,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: there was also another consistent team of uh, Brooke Hogan, no, Kiara Hogan, sorry, Kiera, I was like my Brooke Hogan. Guy. She
0: hadn't been involved in that company since 2013 when those belts went defunct.
1: This is what happens when I don't have a list of competitors and I'm just going off of my notes. <laughs> like, yeah, Kiera Hogan and Tasha Steele. Like, but also there was other teams involved. There was, if you are familiar with this independent team, they were called the Sea Stars. They were also involved in the tournament. You also had Deanna and Kimberly playing in the tournament along with Taya and Rosemary. And here's and – okay, but other than that, this team tournament was pretty much set up to return the Knockouts tag titles. Now, the match mainly was – it was a setup for the finals. Uh, the, it was a semi-finals match. It was between Jessica Havoc and Nevea versus Jordan Grace and her tag team partner, Jazz.
0: Nice.
1: Now, the last – I swear to God, my last time of laying down uh, the road. Jordan Grace had been on a downward slope since she lost the Knockouts title. She tried going for the X Division Championship. She was unsuccessful. She tried, once again, going for the Knockouts Championship. That didn't work out, but it led to her wanting to go for the titles. Now, she wanted to team with, at the time, Tennille Dashwood, but Tennille, who was the heel, saw other people to team with. So, Jordan Grace couldn't so during the weeks before the tournament, Jordan Grace Tried uh, a mixture of teammates with Tennille Dashwood and Alicia Edwards. They didn't work out. So in her first match, she finds the partner out of Jazz who had been teasing retirement. They blow through the first team advancing. They blew. Through, they 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 beat the second team advancing, which leads them to the semifinals against Havoc and Nia. Now this was a great match. Um, I mean, cle- these for a better sense, these are all thick women. Very. Big women in a match, but don't let their size confuse you because Jessica Havoc has shown to be very agile, and uh, she and Nevaeh work very well as a tag team. Now, uh, Jordan Grace and Jazz have also shown some great team chemistry as a tag team, but this match was pretty much just a constant changing back and forth between Je- uh, Jordan Grace and Nevaeh, and then great, and then Jazz and Havoc. Now, Havoc obviously she is the larger opponent. A lot of this match was about trying to take her down, doing two-on-one attacks on Jet on on Havoc, sometimes getting Nivea involved, but ultimately in the end, uh, Jessica Havoc pins Jazz to win the match with her signature tombstone pile driver. And the way that and of course, with that being with that being said, Havoc and Nivea advance in the semifinals to face the team of Kiara Hogan and Tasha Steels in the finals or the knockout, to crown the knockout's tag team champions. Now, mm-hmm. oh, uh, sorry. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. All right. uh, pretty much after the match, uh, once that was over, uh, the commentators, which was uh, Josh Matthews and Madison Rain, pretty much talking about doing after, pretty much doing some post-commentary and then showing highlights. Then later on, we get a quick package of, Jazz looking for Jordan Grace, and uh, Jazz talks to Grace, you know, uh, apologize. You know, uh, she was going to say something to Grace, but Grace interrupts her, and she wanted to apologize to Jazz for, you know, bringing her out of a semi-retirement. But Jazz thanks Jordan for giving her the opportunity to, you know, fight against the new generation, the younger crowd. But then Jordan, realizing that Jazz still has a lot in the tank, offers a challenge is she offers a match between her and jazz which i originally thought was going to be on hard to kill but then i found out it actually happened this past saturday during the super x cup on genesis so Ah. once i watch that i will probably give myself a quick actually depending on the next time we meet up i may do like a double a quick pay-per-view review of both genesis and hard to kill gotcha but that we'll we'll talk about that another time, but absolutely, yeah, it's pretty much just going to be a friendly one on one match between the two of them. That's how it goes. That sounds nice. Yeah. But then following that, we have a quick promo with uh, Impact World Champion Rich Swan and the Motor City Machine Guns talking about how they're not going to let Kenny Omega uh, try to you know lay claim, you know, lay a stake here, you know, try pretty much, you know, uh, swing his big dick around Impact Zone. So. Mm-hmm. But the, all three of those men tried to. They, what they decide to do, they decide to go to Kenny's trailer and surprise him. So they go past security, they go to the trailer, they knock on the door, expecting for Kenny to come out, but they get blindsided by Omega and the Good Brothers. Pretty much a simple beatdown. Kenny talking trash, saying that if you think this is worse, get ready because we're gonna give you we're gonna give you even more of a beating at Hard to Kill with Don Callis also. Uh, You know, holding the AEW championship over Rich Swann's face, you know. You may be Impact champion, but Kenny is the champion.
0: Yep. Not right.
1: Yeah. And then next up, we had ourselves, and this is where I have, I don't have any uh, much information on this. This is pretty much a three-minute challenge match between the TNA heavyweight champion, moose and i'm saying tna heavyweight champion in air quotes against matthew palmer now from what i got from the show matthew palmer was a wrestler who came in as security guard but he gets unfortunately he gets he during the situation moose you know attacks palmer but palmer didn't take it so lightly so he went to management asking for an opportunity to fight moose moose pretty much just goes he did not see him as a wrestler. He says you couldn't last three minutes in the ring with me. So here's what we had. Mm-hmm. In this match, it was pretty much just Moose being mainly dominant over over Matthew Palmer. You know, showing himself to be you know, this new grizzled, aggressive attitude he has being the heavyweight champion. But while the clock was ticking down, it was getting towards 30 seconds. Moose was saying enough for Spirit to end the match. Willie, but unfortunately, he gets stopped. By the interruption interrupting music of of Willie Mack. Nice. Willie Mack and Moose have had themselves a rivalry for months now. Mainly it started off as a beatdown for Moose's in a message to Rich Swan, to which Mac had took personally, and so Mac has wanted to fight Moose on so many occasions, which led to them having a match at Hard to Kill, which is going to be a I quit match. So Willie Mack interrupts distracts Moose long enough for Moose to all of a sudden realize that he has 5 seconds left to end but Matthew Palmer rolls out of the ring in order to last the 3 seconds to, to last the match and he wins <laughs> so pretty much the whole match was meant to show Moose as a dominant man uh, pretty much you know Goliath versus David but ultimately
0: David winning with the help of Willie Mack I was like, sounds like fun yeah definitely yeah. sounds like an interesting time
1: it does I mean, like it was a very good, competent match. Uh, nothing for not, not, not
0: nothing to say. It's going to be like in the in the Hall of Fame books, but still a good match if you want to tell a good story. Yeah.
1: And then finally, the main event was a gr- a longstanding grudge match between Sammy Callahan and Eddie Edwards. Oh, now, this yeah. rivalry, this is a long, this is a rivalry renewed and a rivalry which has not only broken bone but blood all over it. Yeah. Now I did say I wasn't gonna do enough uh, laying the groundwork, but I did remember why. Wa- I did watch Impact sparingly before AW showed up, and one thing I did remember was a robbery from Sammy Callahan and Eddie Edwards. Now, what started off this robbery was Sammy Callahan, of course, who was aligned with the tag team OVE. He had he ended up accidentally. Busting Eddie, he's breaking like an orbital bone, or busting Eddie, Eddie's face open, causing him to be on the shell for months. Yeah, I
0: think I remember seeing that on Botchmania.
1: Yeah, and that, and because of that botch. It led to Eddie changing his character to where he was a simple babyface to a hardcore, aggressive brawler to where he was so obsessed with taking over Sammy Callahan. He cared about nothing in his way. He didn't care about his team. He didn't care about titles. He didn't even care about his wife at the time. He only cared about taking out Sammy Callahan. And that rivalry was so aggressive, so personal, I can't remember who came out on top. But it ended to where it just ended. And Eddie had kept, and of course, during that time, Eddie was able to transition from this aggressive character into more uh, respected of his Boston home colors, to where he became Impact Champion and wanted to be a fighting champion. And even during that time, Sammy Callahan was a face, you know, trying to get over the hump of his aggressive attitude. But I think during, after his rivalry with RVD, he went back to being. The, the callous, the malicious character he was, renewing his robbery with Eddie Edwards, with, which also reactivated that, brut- that brutal side of Eddie Edwards, which led to this match. Now, this match was pretty much simply Eddie and Sammy attacking each other at any opportunity they had. They fought outside the ring. They were giving each other headbutts, elbows, you know. Knees, suplexes, pretty much they were brutalizing each other all over the place. And at one point, it led to a match to where Eddie brutalized, uh, no, Sammy brutalized Eddie with a headbutt to where blood was coming out of Sammy Callahan's eye, or which, which, which kind of what looked like it. But then Sammy also recal also retaliated with a headbutt, which also let Eddie with some blood coming out of Eddie's eye as well, pretty much like a small cut. Tri- trickling down his forehead, trickling down on the side. It wasn't as if you're seeing little blood come out. <laughs> but then, once again, the the fight once again got so intense to where uh, the referee he stopped the match. He didn't. The, the match ended with. That's it. There was no pins, no submissions, no countouts. The the match got too brutal between both competitors to where the referee just couldn't keep up with it anymore. And the ref had warned them throughout the entirety of the night, but they kept ignoring him. To where that's how it ended. No, the ref stops the match. He, no, he doesn't stop it. He throws out the match. But it doesn't matter. Eddie and Sammy still continue to keep beating the hell out of each other. But Eddie. But then during the scuffle, Eddie grabs the bat from Sammy Callahan. And the moment he's getting closer to Callahan to swing on it, it cuts. The lights go out, and then it cuts to a scene in the back. It cuts to on the Tron of Eddie's wife, Alicia, trapped inside a steel cage, a steel structure area. Eddie, Shit. without even hesitating, chases, goes to the back. You know, uh, wants to get his wife out, but he is attacked by Eddie, uh, Sammy Callahan, and Ken Shamrock. And what happens is they trap Eddie by tying barbed wire, tying him up in barbed wire around the steel structure. And then, of course, Sammy adds the heel. He pretty much just brags. He threatens him and tells him, don't worry, you're going to get so much worse at Hard to Kill. And then he hits him with a baseball bat, blows a kiss to Alicia, and then that's how the – and I believe that's how the show ends. Wow.
0: Just – Talk about talk about your rivalries, man. Good grief!
1: Yeah, which is kind of funny too, knowing about the history of them. The fact that a botch happened between Sammy Callahan, obviously, it made him a, a super mega heel to the crowd at the time. But it, seeing just a slight glimpse of what it does with Eddie Edwards' character, yeah, which surprisingly kind of revitalized him because. I remember when Eddie Edwards came into Impact. He was a team along with MVP, who was coming in as a, a like a representative of them, but also as a someone looking for controlling, looking for a, a controlling investment over Impact. So seeing Eddie Edwards transition from a tag team competitor to a baby face champion to almost middle of the card to be, and then that accident happens. He becomes a brutal face to be almost. Dances along the line of a heel, but comes back as a face, and it just gives him a new edge to him winning the exhibition championship and the the, the call your shot gauntlet, which was their which is Impact's version of a uh, Royal Rumble, right. and the World Impact Championship. Hey, I mean, but beyond just looking at that, uh, your thoughts? Uh, i I'm not sure if you watched or not, but just. Listening to what I said, what were your thoughts
0: on Impact? Based on your description, it sounds like they're putting a lot of good pieces in place for the the pay per view next weekend, um, which should be interesting. Because yeah. I know I know Hard to Kill's next weekend. I know you've got the finals for those women's tag titles. Obviously, we know we got the six man tag between uh, Kenny and the Good Brothers versus uh, Rich Swan and the Motor City Machine Guns, which will be a banger. That's for absolutely certain. Yeah. Um, I know we've got a great... Okay, I just... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, keep going. I, just, I was going looking for the hard-to-kill match card, so I'll, I'll give it out. But... Honestly, I've got it. I've got it somewhere here. Hang on. Yeah, here it is. Because I went ahead and pulled it up. So, yeah, you've got, like I said, Havoc and the versus... I, I... Yeah. Yeah, because I... Yeah, good stuff. Uh, old school rules match. young uh, God, Eric Youngbiner. I
1: forgot to mention.
0: Go ahead. Go for it.
1: There was one thing I forgot to mention that also ties into Hard to Kill Match. And this is regarding Ethan Page. This oh. was a tease on a backstage segment with an impact. Now, Ethan Page at the time was a team, was a tag team of the North with him and Josh Alexander. They were a long-running heel tag team in Impact, defending those championships for over nearly a year. They lost to the Motor City Machine Guns. But because of that, but then they won those titles back, but then they lost them to Gallows and Anderson. After they lost to the Good Brothers, Ethan Page has slowly started to become unhinged. Mm-hmm. He end, he accidentally ended up costing him and Josh matches. He cost Josh a singles match to where he kept saying, don't worry, things are going to be fine. And all that tied into, I think, last week or two weeks ago, when Ethan Page shows up dressed in black shorts with a red belt and a red headband known as the Karate Man.
0: Oh boy!
1: And this—I don't know where this led to, but during Impact, this was just a backstage segment where Ethan was, you know, doing a therapy session to so where he's talking about none everything that's been that's happened. All the bad luck has not been his fault. Pretty much going back to his nickname of All Ego Ethan Page. Right. But then during the therapy session, he gets irritated that he doesn't—he doesn't believe he's being listened to. So it turns out he's being—he's doing his therapy session with a Karate Man.
0: Oh Jesus!
1: And then all this just, yeah, all this just leads into a back and forth between the two personas to where they're gonna have a match at Hard to Kill, where it's Eden Page versus the Karate Man. So I, no would, I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't, yeah, I'm, I'm get, I'm, 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 pretty sure this is gonna be Impact Cinematic Match. But I'm sorry, there's just one thing from Impact I forgot to mention that's also gonna be on the Hard to Kill yeah. uh, title card, which I'm pretty sure you're
0: looking at. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm just like, what in the name of Merlin are, is fixing to happen here? So, yeah, this this should definitely be fairly interesting. But one way or the other, we will definitely get an idea of what is coming next. Because, yeah, I mean, Eddie Edwards and Sammy Callahan are getting ready to go for Barbed Wire Massacre. That's going to be crazy. Um, you get a triple threat match for the X Division title coming off the pay-per-view. So, yeah, it, it seems like they're putting a lot of good... Good pieces in place for the for the pay per view coming up. Like I said, I was not able to really sit and watch it. Uh, I'll probably watch the replay on Twitch sometime tomorrow to kind of catch myself up. But yeah, I mean, I I'm definitely curious to see where it goes. Um, like I, I know Impact has been making a lot of improvements, especially with Don Callis at the helm. So hopefully they've been there've been enough improvements to where I can you know sit and watch and actually find it entertaining for the first time and God knows how many years since I quit watching. So, um, but yeah, from what you've described, I mean, you know, with the whole thing with Deanna Parraza and Ty Valkyrie, you know, the, the stuff with Sue Young, the stuff going on with Eric Young and his unhingedness, um, you know, all of that, especially, like I said, with, um, Kenny and all the other members of the elite and whatever else is going to end up coming from that. We still have no idea. Are AEW guys going to show up at hard to kill, other than Kenny Omega, we, we honestly don't know. But uh, one way or the other, uh, I personally cannot wait to see where it goes. Um, it's a brave new world for pro wrestling in 2021. Uh, hopefully we get a brave new world in terms of everything else in uh, our day-to-day lives to where we can finally get start getting back to some semblance of normalcy uh, sooner rather than later. Because I got to tell you, this, this whole lockdown shit's for the birds.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... Now I don't know exactly what our plans are going to be. I mean, I'm definitely going to take a look at Genesis. I mean, uh, if there's not any good matches there story wise, I mean, I'm still going to watch that. You know, yeah. that event either way. But other than that, Impact has been making some big moves in 2020. I mean, I, I slowly came in like around June or July around that time. But Impact, from what I've seen from this show, I am interested. I'm. This is definitely got. A, this is definitely enough for me to continue watching the program moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, we'll uh, we'll do some predictions for Hard to Kill next week. Well, uh, sometime later this week because we we won't be recording this show uh, before the actual uh, pay-per-view goes up. But we'll go ahead and record our predictions at some point this week, probably maybe at about a Wednesday, uh, like the day after Impact, so that way we know what's coming. And then uh, we'll get that one out before we do we record this one. And then obviously we'll record the review for it. Uh, after the fact, now I will go ahead and let everybody know we are not going to do a punishment for this pay per view. We're going to save that for the first of WWE's Big Five. At this rate, uh, the Royal Rumble coming up towards the end of the year. I say Big Five because let's face it, Money in the Bank has pretty much become one of the big the big pay per views of the year to keep an eye on. So, yeah. I Here's mean, it is. would we want to
1: consider doing one for a Revolution
0: for AW Revolution? we'll do we'll do one for a Revolution, but like I said, uh, Rumble will come before Revolution. Because Revolution won't be till February.
1: Gotcha. No worries. Yeah. Yeah, we got we got a lot of time to plan this stuff
0: out. Oh, yeah. We got plenty of time. Matter of fact, I still need you to send me the list of some of those punishments you'd be willing to do so I can make up the wheel.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right.
0: Yep. I should do that. Yeah, I would say I'll I'll write out about five of them. You can write out about five of them sometime this week, and we'll get that set up. But in any case, folks, those are our thoughts and our opinions on everything that went down this week in the world of professional wrestling. I know for our first show, it's been a long one. We're over two hours now, but we're going to go ahead and try to wrap this thing up. But what did you guys think of this year or this, you know, first week of wrestling in the year of our Lord, 2021, 2021, excuse me. Uh But yeah, so let us know what you thought. If you enjoyed the show, definitely give us a like. Share us around with your friends. Leave us a review. Five stars is appreciated. But we always appreciate honesty regardless. If you don't feel it was worthy of five stars, let us know why. Let us know what we can do to improve everything. So, yeah, like I said, we will be doing a predictions video or a predictions review or podcast, excuse me, for Hard to Kill. We'll do a Hard to Kill review afterwards. We'll also put out this regular episode next week. And then, of course, by the time the Royal Rumble comes around, we will be doing predictions as well as a review show for that. All right. That is going to wrap it up for us here today, guys. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I know it's been a long one, but we got through it. But, I know, we've rambled, we've raged, we've done all of the all stuff in between. But it has been for the love of one thing and one thing only, and that is professional wrestling. So on behalf of my co-host, Ryan Payne, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you guys next time. And until then, hey, ref, ring the bell already.